Hello everybody and welcome to Spotlight, the one of the official podcasts of Grapple. I'm Benno. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And with us, again, it's a post-pay-per-view edition. We're going to get him to crunch the numbers and give us all the Grapple stats. It's uh, our good mate and our boss. It's Grapple Gareth. Hi, Gareth. <laughs> Hi, boss. You can cut this boss shit out, mate. <laughs> I'm just thinking we need to unionise is what it is. Oh, it's Jamesy. We need to uh, get some better paying conditions over here and sort it all out. <laughs> oh, is that why I'm on the call? <laughs> Always good In to have In fairness, you. we're employees who can get away with anything, really, at this point, aren't we? We say whatever. Uh, Speaking of employees who can get away with anything and do whatever. <laughs> we start already, JP. Is that what it is? Oh, I kind of want to let Joe go into it before I go anywhere near this. It's been one. a fun but old day, hasn't strong... it? And being a British yeah. person, what a weekend. What a what a weekend. What a life. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's mm. it's the main. There's a lot of wrestling stuff to talk about, but fuck me. Like, how do you live? You can't live in this country without bringing this up. Like, it has been an unbelievable 24 hours as like a news from a news point of view in the UK. Yeah, it's been uh, interesting. And what I've learned in the last 24 hours is that JP is a father. I know Gareth's also a father, but I can't comment. I've not ever been around Gareth's kids, but JP, know your kids pretty well. You've failed, mate. You've not been using your instincts as a father during lockdown. Fuck you been up to, mate. Should have been using them instincts more and doing what the fuck you want. Because those (laughs) rules ultimately meant fucking nothing, did they? Yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I, I thought I'll stay at home, but home is also apparently 250 miles away or wherever I deem it to be, wherever <laughs> my parents are. Should I go and see your mum, mate? Yeah, well, you could yeah. have. And, I, and I'd have about 70 miles to spare once I hit hit North Allerton. Because you went to Ireland, you know, Fuck. you could have done a visit to the real home. Nothing wrong with that, is it, JP? It is. Ah, oh, it's ridiculous. I know Will Will Cooling will be releasing some stuff where he gives some very strong thoughts and opinions delivered in a very yeah. forceful way. We've had the preview. Um, oh yeah, we did. Um, I'm absolutely fucking disgusted. I really am. If there ever was a sign that there is literally one rule for us and one rule for them, them being those in power, usually fucking Tories, here we go. Here's evidence of it. And defending it by saying he's, you know, stay in isolation. Don't don't travel, but you can travel. Uh, we joked about this as Johnson hmm. saying it, about you can travel and you can't travel a couple of weeks ago. I'm still gobsmacked. I've been having a go at my sister and I was going like in the one ups of, you know, dipshittery between, you know, at times that the US is leading on a grand scale. I thought the UK's made a good fucking charge here. And I went out tonight for a walk. And I'll tell you what, to a lot of people, this lockdown is over. Absolutely (laughs) over. But the message that's been sent over this weekend kind of spells that out. And it's Mm. occurred on a news weekend where we've also had cracking weather, let's be honest. Mm. And, you know, every single cabinet minister that went out there and defended this looked like a fucking mug like all day and yesterday when i was watching it grant shaps do the daily briefing and then again on andrew marr this morning it's felt like i've been watching like um a bumper edition of the thick of it it's like a new series of the thick of it which is like a reality tv show and it's just kind of on all the time and i love the thick of it i'm well all right with that but at the same time it's kind of insulting and you know he should have stayed up in fucking Durham, carried on dancing to 
apparently dancing queen while admiring yeah. bluebells was what I read. Like that bloke as well. I gotta say, one thing I do God, begrudgingly admire about him is he does say fuck it to the sort of like Whitehall dress code, which I'm like, you know what, fair play. But if you're gonna do it, wear some fucking decent clobber. The clothes he knocks around in are fucking awful. Scally that stuff, orange like, t-shirt. Oh, yeah. those padded coats. He's always had shite dress sense, but it's gone into overdrive recently. And I don't know if he's a worker and he's doing it to wind the likes of me up, but I'll tell you what he needs to do is he needs to log on. He needs to get a Depop account and log on to my Depop account and buy some of my old garms. He looks like he's a bit slimmer than me. And, you know, some of the clothes have outgrown me over the years as the waistline has expanded. So if he wants a decent bargain, he can have a look at my Depop and sort himself out. Because he's going to be doing the media rounds, I imagine, for the next few days. Or he might be a bit cowardly to do that. So, yeah, just just grab those. And also, he clearly buys beach balls from like or bouncy balls from like Asda for his son or something as well. So uh, he's a cheap bastard at the same time. <laughs> It's bad stuff. It's like it's sub level. Like not even our worst scallies in Liverpool, Gareth are wearing those clothes at this point. Like, <laughs> like he's he's like he's he's even he's further back than the North Face scallies. He's further <laughs> back than like the what was like the oh, the, the old tracksuits everyone used to wear. Um, oh, Lacoste. He's past the Lacoste days. Lacoste. He's he's back into proper nineties scally wear. Like the the sp- he's he's got dressed in a bin behind Sports Direct. That's what he looks like. I bet he focus group plenty of scallies as well when he decided to find a uh, route towards regression and division in this country and decided to further exploit people's most irrational fears as well. So, well, well done to him for hanging around with a bunch of people in scally tracksuits, you say, Benno. <laughs> Fuck Lacoste on the end. What about Sergio Toscini or, <laughs> or Kappa? Which I was amazed to find is back in fashion when I walked into an Urban Outfitters a couple mm. of years ago. I was like, oh. I remember in 1997 when this was considered cool. I remember in 2001 when one of my mates was still wearing it. And we were ripping the shit out of him for it. He'd be making a killing over on the Depop now, wouldn't he, if he held on to that clobber. Uh, I was going to say as well, those fucking slogans. When you're watching Boris Johnson, his daily briefing today, where he looked like a fucking ass, and the media around the questions was hilarious, I've got to say. And the oh. way I think it was a guy from the mirror that he tried to bump off, and he just kept going. And the fact the guy from the BBC was muted as well was like, hmm, this is interesting. Is this a bit of a work here? Is that intentional? But when he's there with the, the old stale bollocks in front of him as well, I'm thinking, there's a man who comes up with three-word slogans. Mm. It's coming. He's there, sitting in front of these three-word slogans that have been completely exposed, or two-word slogans to some extent with these stay alert bollocks. They've been completely exposed as being just empty. And based on what I saw today when I was out on my, my walk, a lot of people around, it feels like it's kind of done, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, I, I went on a walk along, like, by Gareth's house today, along Crosby Beach and back, and I left it till late, but there were so many people about bumping into my dad. We still did a social distance chat. It was a complete coincidence. It's his birthday tomorrow, so I think it's fine that we can uh, we can hang around and have a chat. But, like, yeah, just in general, I think, yeah, if it, basically, the, the, Boris Johnson today has told people who, like, people like Will, who got really angry on his podcast, and he said in our, uh, we are live right now, he said in our chat that, uh, that, uh, that excerpt of his podcast is uh, live on his Twitter. But like people like Will who've got like kids and he can't see his kids. And there's people like around all around the country who can't see the parents. I'm 
you know, I, I saw my dad today by coincidence, but I'm not supposed to go to my dad's house. Like, there's much people in much worse situations than me, like parents who can't see their kids, kids who can't see the parents. And it's it basically what Boris Johnson said today was, you're all fucking idiots because, yeah, if, if there was a problem and someone was sick, yeah, just go along, travel across the country. It's not a problem, JP, it's all good. Yeah, game over, mate. <laughs> like you, walked about... Saw loads of police cars as well. Mm. And then saw lots of people on social media saying, like, lots of police officers messaging their friends saying, you go up to them and ask them to stop. And it's like, fuck them. Mm. I saw about 40 people in a five, like one of those um, sort of basketball slash five-a-side courts that's in a park quite near where I live. Mm. And that was about 40-odd people in there. Fuck me. Yeah. There'd be no... And... Like it was off there with people having barbecues in their gardens, and you could see them at that, and it's just over. Mm. And the problem is, if you end up sticking to this, like it's kind of becomes meaningless mm. now. So, for those of you who, like like me who don't trust this at all, convinced there's a second wave going to be coming, very much erring on the side of caution. And you see what's happening at the moment the school advice, and I know about this as well, to say that it's kind of airy. And, and a bit wishy-washy is a gross understatement mm-hmm. because it it doesn't give clear guidelines for what is open and you just kind of sense yeah gloves are off literally and yeah putting their hands everywhere and it's just like what do we need a whole second wave of deaths in order to kind of prove no you need to stick to this yeah. but there you go I found it kind of funny that in Boris's daily briefing he tried to get the coming stuff done and tried to distract from it by going on to schools. And it was like, you're now using schools as a distraction tactic? This is interesting. When the whole school opening is the easier topic than your, your key advisor. Yeah, something's kind of gone wrong here to some degree, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, hilarious day, i got to say. Yeah. Grant Chaps tries to use the A66 as a, as a distraction today. I'm sure of it. And Scotch, Cor- Scotch Corner, because he wanted to talk transport. So he started talking transport stuff, and it's like, yeah, I don't think you've read the room here, mate. It's very, like, like, and it was just embarrassing. It was just like an embarrassing weekend overall, and it just kind of made you realise that this is just a government that does not care mm. about us as well, people. The thing that I sort of think is we've committed to this for, what is it, nine weeks of lockdown now, mm-hmm. right? And when we come out of this, you know... Uh, it feels like we need to be respected and appreciated for what we've done as as citizens. And, you know, there have been things like the furlough scheme, which have helped to support people. Mm. But come the end of this global pandemic, right, if we get to the end of it and it was like, well, this is fucking shit, isn't it? Like, what benefit has there been to... I'm trying to make a point, but I can't make it the way I want to make it. I'm struggling there. But you think about when soldiers going from World War One, and I'm not comparing this to the war, and it was yeah, like... don't be that guy. I'm not doing that, but it was like, <laughs> what the fuck did we go and fight for, mm. right? And then it was like, well, what did we do that for? Because this lot don't give a shit about us, right? Why have we taken this government's advice, and why have we gone along with this government and their distraction tactics like the clap... Why have we gone on about, like, why have people bought into fucking VE Day uh, as a distraction tactic as well? And we've bought into all this rubbish throughout this, not me personally, but a lot of the British public have. And at the end of it, it's like, well, this was all for nothing. This was all 
to kind of distract us so that this wasn't made political. This has been political for a fucking while now, and this weekend has been the confirmation of it. Like, politics came back with the education stuff. It's fucking back now, let's be honest. Yeah. I think the uh, the biggest telltale sign of uh, of the day is uh, this is going to turn into another one of those Will Cooling podcasts. But Will trading it, he's traded in his Tory card today. Like Will is rejoining the uh, the good side and rejoining Labour. That's how that's how that's how far we've come. That's the situation mm-hmm. we're in now. It's uh, it's it, it's getting every it's it's militarising everybody and getting everybody fighting the good cause. It's just yeah. If you're, I hope it is. If you're one of them people who help like, votes Tory after this. Sorry, who votes Tory after this? Like I just. You know, I, I, to be honest, though, there are people like that. Like the, there are, no matter what happened today, no matter what happens this weekend, that no, there are people who are gonna still be like, well, you know, it's still better than that labour lot being in, and and, and the things will just keep calm well, and they will carry on. And it's probably we're just shouting into the void. The support for him is kind of linked to Brexit, mm. and it's the idea that there should be this sort of eternal gratitude amongst a very small vocal minority of, of people who believe that he is a great person because he was the ar- the architect of Brexit. Mm. And as a result, the idea of getting rid of him is seen as an establishment attack. There's still this very bizarre idea. He is the advisor to the prime minister, yet somehow people view him as an outsider. Mm. Unless he literally crawls inside Boris Johnson, he could not be any closer <laughs> to him than any other person obviously in these times as well. Mm. So like, and that's the image that's kind of portrayed of him and people believe it because it's something to get angry about. Mm. It is. And it, and, it, and and I think there's a lot of it, like you say, about the distraction t- tactics as well. The idea, and I hate a lot of the pylons oh, we'll talk about that late at the, we will at the end of the show. About internet pylons. We will yeah, do. I can guarantee and you that. See, but, then there are things in terms of Cummings' source, and you really realise this week, like for Laura Coonsberg and Dominic Cummings as her source, and you see this, and you realise that the me- that, like the most trusted news organisation in the country has had its political editor kind of playing along with this, and it's just like right, enough's enough. And but I quite often sh- go on, JP. And I was also going to say, I, I I quite often think in these moments, if a Corbyn, if Corbyn had done this, and Seamus Milne had done this. They would have strapped Seamus Milne to the Angel of the North and they'd have set fire to him. That's what would have fucking happened. That, that's the moment he would have been seen there. The fact he gets away with this is like this. And, and trust me, I'm, I'm not a fan of Seamus Milne in any way, shape or form. But, you know, it, it's, it, it's ridiculous. And I think people just assume it's Tories. They get away with it. Mm-hmm. And yes. you know what? They do. It's a different set of standards, I believe. But the point you made about Coonsberg there, I think the BBC have been crapping themselves like based on the uh, licence fee, the renewal of the charter agreement for fucking ages now. And it felt like this weekend was the first time where they kind of, I don't want to say weren't on the attack, but reported this, apart from Coonsberg yesterday, in the mm. way it needed to be reported and gave it the coverage that it needed to receive and almost presented it with a this is pretty fucking shocking sort of stance. And it was like, ah, actually, this is kind of good. And then you saw that tweet from the civil service that went out as well. And it was like Cummings to kind of uh, projects that he wants to overhaul in kind of getting rid of the BBC and also restructuring the civil service. It felt to me when the BBC reported on that, but it was almost like <laughs> the two kind of areas that he sort of has rallied on for years and years coming together to say, you know what, fuck you, mate. 
fuck you like what have we done wrong you're the person who's done a lot of fucking wrong here you're the person here that needs to be questioned you're the person who needs to go you're the person who needs to lose a job and at the end of the day yeah he's positioned himself as an outsider all along that's kind of been his brand like said about the clothing and his approach to that he's <laughs> fucking working but he looks like an absolute mug but it's also the fact that there was a child involved in this so i think a lot of idiots would be like well it was his kid mm. he was just looking out for his kid oh, like I've heard that. there's people and on twitter yeah, saying that today i've seen that in like in comments yeah. of like owen jones and people like that mm. yeah Gammon's no friends in London either, has he? Yeah. No, his, his, his wife doesn't have family members. Sister-in-law lives around the corner, mate. <laughs> round the corner, apparently. Like, honestly, it probably would have been from mo- closer to closer than me and you live t- to one another, JP. Closer than Benno and Gareth live, apparently. <laughs> from what I've heard, round the fucking corner. Like a trip to the corner shop, possibly. So, yeah, absolute fucking bollocks of the highest degree. And to go back to what you were saying, JP, at the end of the day, Boris Johnson, to me, is a figurehead. It's Cummings who's been running the country. Boris Johnson is a kind of spokesperson for for, uh, Dominic Cummings in many ways. And it basically feels like Boris has really not batted back much of sort of Cummings' advice. And it feels like he's seen a way of kind of being elected, staying popular, and he's sort of gone along with Cummings' populist rhetoric the whole way through in order to kind of uh, get into the position that he is right now. And yeah, it's uh, where we are right now. How do we carry on with this? It's the story of a day, but yeah, wrestling. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> is, is everyone? I suppose has everyone had a, other than being British and being really depressed today? Has everyone had a good weekend? Maybe I don't know. Have we do, I we're had doing a anything else? Day, great day. It's been a lovely, lovely day to be fair. I had a nice lovely walk. walk. Mm. Yeah, at love- the risk, at the risk of bringing down the mood. I mean, I I lost my uncle last week, and oh, I think man. it's down to sort of COVID-related complications as well. Shit, so man. there's been kind of like, yeah, sorry, um, but there's. There's been that. Um, although I did see something that really kind of cheered us up, as we'll go on to in a bit as well. Uh, um, but I have tried to enjoy the nice sunshine. Mm. Um, apart from the pricks at the golf course now, who've removed the stones from the river so you can't walk round. I got told off by a golf, by a marshal. This was at about seven o'clock. Uh, I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. And it was like a little highlight of the day. <laughs> so I was a little bit annoyed about that. And I watched Alien Resurrection with my son to finish off the Alien quadrilogy, and it's bad. What do they make of it? Are they enjoying like the Alien series? Is that that something they're into? In order, Alien almost by a bit. They love Alien. Mm. Um, They like Aliens. Like my my youngest was going ten out of ten for Alien, nine out of ten for Alien. Wow, high ratings. Big stars, five yeah. on the grapple scale, four and a half on the grapple scale. Come on, Gareth's <laughs> on the line here, JP. Come on, give it the, give it the hard sell. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. One out of ten, four it's out of five. Yeah, that's true. Five out of five for Alien. Uh, <laughs> f- four and a half. Um, I think probably Alien 3, he gave, like, he was seven out of ten, so it'd be three and a half. Good, solid kind of mid-card match. He said, obviously, they've tried to go back to Alien. Mm. This one, four. Like, like, a couple of good bits, but it's shit. And I went, I can't sit through Prometheus, but happily, Predator. And I've selected three of the films, Predator, Predator 2 and Predators as the ones we're going to watch. I gonna... Go on, Gareth. Oh, go on, go on. I was going to say, you're not going to show him Aliens versus Predator 2. I mean, no, really that's, a, that's a classic. horrible film. 
horrible <laughs> film done in darkness. But the scene in the maternity ward, I was like, oh my god, I don't need to see this. Awful. You know, I really think Predators age, mate. I really do. Like when I watched it uh, on the Tokyo Dome weekend this year, uh, like I was amazed at how how much it had aged. Like the editing is a bit dodgy. Like r- like you'll pick up on it, I reckon, during that first action scene. Like I don't know, it's very choppy. I don't know if it's a film for for a new audience, like a younger audience. I think they kind of I don't know, not take it how you might have as a kid. Oh, they wouldn't. They'd, they'd be laughing. I think I think mm. they'd just be laughing throughout, mm. like kind of at the film, not necessarily with it. Very much like what Police Academy was. <laughs> they were just sort of watching it and occasionally shaking her head, going, "Jesus, was this a thing?" And I was like, "80s were different, lads. <laughs> very, very different times." Uh, well, I suppose the eighties were different because, to my knowledge, you didn't have uh, political advisors, you know, flouting the rules of uh, lockdown when they'd been a part of uh, sage meetings and you know, sort of being there in an influential position and sort of how can i put it putting slogans together during that and having their say over the government advice during this so yeah it was a very different time in the 80s wasn't it yeah they had thatcher though it that's, was. that's the that's the, uh, the opposite end of the problem though. so you know that's <laughs> a sensitive subject of strikes and all the rest of it yeah yeah, yeah. police that's brutality a, that's sensitive to me and gareth up here you know gareth's an adopted scouser it's uh we don't like talking <laughs> about thatcher years uh, how about you gareth what are you up to how's uh how's things in a uh, sunny grapple towers yeah, not not too bad. Just been doing a big wire rewatch mm. over the last oh, week or so, like catching up on that. Yeah, yeah. So just uh, absolutely, absolutely nailing through that. So where you're weird because it's like, um, we're just like coming near the end of season two. Um, the best. But, like, I was looking back. I was looking back, and it was like ten, twelve years ago since I like, last watched it, and I was you know. So I've just sort of like I've forgotten so much shit that happens, but it's almost like familiar characters doing like really good stuff that you've kind of forgotten about sort of thing. So it's yeah. I think that's the thing with rewatching the wire. Like I did it recently and no matter how many times you rewatch it because it's so deep and there's so many characters and there's so many little scenes, you kind of think, you know, the overall don't you? And then you watch it and that scene happens and it's like, I can't even remember that scene existed. Like there's so much to, or like you vaguely remember it, but you don't remember the dialogue. Uh, I, I love it for that. It's, a, it's one of the most rewatchable shows. Um, although I do tell, like, I did, re- I did know you were rewatching it because you you put something really controversial on Twitter, actually, Gareth, about how uh, you hated the season two theme, which I believe is the original version of the theme as well. My God, Gareth, no respect. That's uh, Muddy Waters, <laughs> is it? I don't know. I'm not even sure who it is. I just know, I just know, I like that song and I like that season. Oh. Do you not drive past yeah, Seaport Docks in your car, blasting that thing out, having the time of your life? Honestly, like I, I never, ever, ever fast forward through themes. Like even if I'm binge watching something, I'll always listen to the theme because to me it's like part of the program. But this, I'm just like fucking skip right. Oh man, he is a bleeding that that fucking like nautical kind of sound in the background or something like that. Oh god, it drives me. Not so. I don't blame you, mate. You're just getting forward and getting straight to Frank Sabotka kicking some. I was gonna say, <laughs> Frank Sabotka died for this. I mean, come on, show some respect to Frank. <laughs> uh. On on the upside, there's a theme tune for the podcast. <laughs> oh, nice yeah. early. oh, we're not yeah, gonna be uh, out of choice. Nick Sabotka's girlfriend. 
who we live with. We've gone about her. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Like, there's so many cats, so many people in it where I'm just like, like, <laughs> I, can't, like I just forgot you even existed kind of thing. And they just suddenly like pop up and like, it's just mental, like absolutely mental. There's a great director's commentary on one of the episodes by um, Dominic West and Michael K. Williams. And they're big fans of Nick Sabotka's girlfriend. It's not woke, put it that way. I remember watching my <laughs> mate being like, fucking hell, I can't believe what they're saying. Dominic West, on the other hand, Currently in Oxford, my mate's girlfriend has seen him around twice in Oxford. She was looking at him, apparently, like, really looking at him. Like, is that Dominic West? Apparently, like, looked at her, smiled and went, hello, it is me. <laughs> like, what a man. Amazing. That's so cool. Did so... he do it from a distance, or was this before? Oh, yeah. It was in the town centre from a distance. She's seen him twice while she's been on a run during uh, during the lockdown. Yeah. I, I actually coincidentally oh, watched Sarah, some... Sarah. Oh, sorry. Also, I was just saying, I watched some like behind the scenes wire thing the other day with Dominic Weston, and he sat in full McNulty clothes, but he's talking in the in in his real English accent, and it's so weird to watch it. Like he's just McNulty to me, no matter what he's in, he's McNulty. Uh, sorry, Gareth, what are you gonna say? Oh well, like when we were watching it last night, Sarah was telling me one of her mates had a few stories about Stringer Bell, but it's probably not the oh. uh, probably not the forum for me to be uh, telling those. So that might, oh, I, that, I mean, that, it that is the forum to be fair. <laughs> we would love to hear about it. Hey, <laughs> uh, well, tell us on it. Yeah, we'll do a Dirty Tuesdays podcast. You and JP can uh, can go back and forth. <laughs> no comment, JP. You could use your sure. Switch for that. You could throw that on Twitch.tv slash what is it? Hooli People that subscribe. Hooliganooli. Hooliganooli, that's it. I apologise. And some people are watching it's, us through that right now. It's, it's season two, the one where McNulty does the fake British accent when he goes to that brothel. Yes, that yes. That is great. That and is great. The first time I watched that, I had no idea that was his real accent. Like That's how, that's how much he got me. <laughs> and then you watch it back and you're like, oh my God, his, his American accent is actually terrible. But it's only when you know, I reckon. I, don't think you, I, I never picked up on it until I'd read like the factoid somewhere. I went for a period of drinking lots of Jameson because of McNulty as mm. well. Like it became a real thing between me and a few mates. Did you go to bars and sit at the bar like him and Bunk? Did you do that? Cause I did that oh yeah, years, and we yeah. we bought. There was a period we went for where we would buy a shot and a beer as well. Yes, I did that too. Very, <laughs> like season very two wire the inspired. Yeah. <laughs> we never put um, eggs oh. in beer like them Dockers for at, the, uh, at that club, but. Yeah, that was the next step. It was a step too far, I think. Amazing. Uh, speaking of your Twitch, JP, you've been uh, active this week. We got the debut of Problematic Pro Wrestling live at like yes. to Joe's chagrin at like half past midnight. Oh. I was getting abuse in my chat from Joe uh, about my Twitch stream running a bit late. And yeah, JP, you jumped on at the dead of night. Didn't even archive the thing to get yourself out of trouble. But we did get the. We finally got the debut. We did get the debut. I'm going to kind of keep it for the Twitch stream and not, not give too many spoilers on it. Um, <laughs> not to get us in trouble, it, it was It was my fault Joe didn't see it, because I said to him, oh, about 10 o'clock. No chance. Um, so <laughs> I got that wrong. I didn't plan anything for the, I didn't commit to anything for the evening, because <laughs> I thought there, 10 o'clock. There was, see me clicking there was a Joe, plus minus of three hours. It's as simple as that. It could be three hours before, it could be three hours after. Who can tell? <laughs> I, I do a part. Apologise, Joe. I'm sorry about that. So I went on. Um, I thought it went all right. We mm. we booked a horrible progress show. It was truly awful. Mm. Um, we had a look at the shortlist. I don't know if we added anyone on who was truly troublesome. Um, we encouraged everyone to take steroids and drugs. Um, Eddie Roberts, who was on the game, hired him as a referee, then tried to start telling him to get on the juice, which he turned <laughs> me down on. So I, had a, I was able to have a go at him in real time while he was in a chat. 
while simultaneously having having making his trying to make his character do stuff like that. Had a hair match for no reason, just to punish someone. Um, because I want to get the morale pretty low. This sounds awful, by the way. I just want to do the oh, massive provisor that all of this is all of this is a game. Um, <laughs> uh, it sounds so bad saying it, really. It does, but at the same time, yeah, it was just sort of a good laugh. Plan on doing it at some point later on in the week. Mm. Uh, I will try and record it. Massive technical difficulties at the beginning. I'm a proper luddite when it comes to this live streaming. Lark. I like my games kind of insular me playing online preferably a solid snake mm. um. <laughs> <laughs> are you so into- was it oh, go on, John. was it as problematic as you promised oh no we, no no we had some conversations obviously we had some conversations about this joe it, would you want at the beginning of uh of the wire like episode three <laughs> someone walks up to omar shoots him in the head no Gonna wait. I'm gonna make. I want to earn spoilers for the wire. Build complex complexity and it's been a long time. We've said over twelve years. So, yeah, that is a spoiler. That's pretty bad. So we are you going time. five it's seasons? Okay. Not going five seasons. Five streams, maybe. This five. We're gonna see how it goes. The, ne- the next one, I'm, I'm looking to be a bit more troublesome because we'll be able to just get going from there. Can you be a bit more timely with the next one so I don't have to sit and watch Benno doing a day of admin? <laughs> <laughs> I had to mute you in the chat, mate. You were so angry. Like we were all having a great mate. time, clicking buttons, setting up spreadsheets. Oh, setting I, up I went on. I was thinking, oh, I'll give it a go. <laughs> and I was thinking about what else I could have been doing at that time. So I put some actual wrestling on in the background that I wanted to watch. So I was watching um, Tony Holm and Bobby Eaton against Hawk and Power Warrior at one point. Cracking, glorified squash match. Bobby Eaton bumping his arse off. And then you were in the corner of my computer screen, and it looked like you were just at work. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll do this, I'll click this button here. Like, I I, I'm not a gamer. I get layout people was might cool. watch like, people playing a game, but clicking buttons on a screen. It's also of culture. I watch some actual fucking wrestling. <laughs> like, I, I just, I'm just lost on it. I don't get what watching you do what you <laughs> might do in a workplace, but it's wrestling related. So it becomes watchable to some people. It just, it, it's bizarre it's, to me. It's not so much there's wrestling, it's um, like there's football manager yeah. streams for the equivalent uh, uh, over there. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of weird Twitch, weird Twitch. You, you, know? you, hit, you hit on the problem, which is the user interface. Yeah. And it looks horrible. That and was so many drop downs. It's hard to watch. It was, if I, it was, I if it was, it, anyway. If it had a user interface that was, say, familiar to sort of football manager within yeah. the sort of visual code of what you'd see, be able to do it, but it doesn't. It feels like it's kind of Windows 97 Excel. I mean, Joe would still hate it, though. Like, I mean, I, I feel like... Oh, I, yeah. I, I think that wasn't the issue I had. It wasn't the <laughs> yeah. user interface. Joe didn't... Why am I watching user interface? I was thinking, Benno is clicking buttons and moving <laughs> stuff around and talking to a screen. Like, it's like he's at work on his own moving stuff around a computer screen like fair enough you know you enjoy it i get that but i cannot watch it like it is j- <laughs> it's just lost on me playing along it's, with friends show, you know that's all it is yeah i would never have um it's not something i would say yeah it, it, it's it's in the category of nick gage and rsp in things i would not link joe to on purpose um I, like no. 
I feel like my, my, my women's division I'm booking might be right up your street. I'm booking shoot fights with Jordan Grace versus Brandy Rhodes. I feel like you might have been into that, Joe. But, yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know. I don't think anything I could do right now. Well, you just told say. me now. I didn't need to watch you doing a live stream for an hour to find them out. <laughs> right. I'll send you a summary at the end of all the streams, Joe. But if anyone else wants to watch, you know, you can follow JP on yeah. Twitch. Twitch.tv slash hooligan early. You send me. me the minutes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Twitch.tv slash Spencer Richardy. <laughs> screenshots of the group <laughs> chat and go right here it is in seven frames <laughs> go ahead, go. save you a lot of time so joe you're not interested in my stream that i'm doing next week of me inputting tna 2005 to 2008 into the app oh that sounds great <laughs> that sounds amazing I think that's an audience of jp and matty edwards only no no, no it's oh, there's bigger some than spreadsheet that. nerds out there you know will enjoy that that data entry i'll be into that i can't wait Quite, watch, me, quite, watch, watch me typing in the date, typing in who was in the match. Oh, the fun we got. Kevin Nash going in there. <laughs> I'd rather just watch a Kevin Nash shoot in the view, mate. <laughs> I I found myself watching. I think I sent a screenshot to you guys of it. Um, impactful reunion table for three, mm. and it had Jeff Jarrett, Sting, and AJ Styles talking about talking about Impact. Jeff working it talking about how great and glorious it was sat at the center of the table as well throughout it it was just like ah he's working them in a restaurant at eating two breakfasts by the looks of it and he looked like fry-ups oh as well i might add double fry up didn't show aj eating but not wrestling jeff's you know zero fucks given i suppose at this point same thing with sting um not a fan of the six-sided ring spoiler alert oh um yeah yeah he wasn't a fan AJ said he liked it towards the end. Jarrett said he did it, because, and it was good for getting into toy stores. That's, nah, that's why true. he did it. It's unique, isn't it? You, it? That was the idea. You put your TV on, and there was a six-sided mm. ring, and immediately it was like, what the fuck's this? The problem is, yeah. it's then TNA, if you keep the channel on. Um, and the problem the, was, they kept flipping and flopping as well, didn't they? From like, okay, we've got a new regime. We're going back to a regular ring. And it's like, okay, we've got another new regime. You know what we need? The six-sided ring back. And it would just, it never stuck. That was the problem. Yeah. Exactly. They didn't go into the messy stuff. They were talking about how great Sting's TNA run was. And I was like, really? He seemed very excited about the Joker character. And I thought, that's a, that's a very do. small audience. He did do some of his best promo work in TNA, though. Like, Sting oh. was never a good promo. And he was a great promo yeah. in TNA towards the end. He, sa- he says that. I, w- I would go with you on that. But in terms of his matches, I, I never thought he was particularly used well in TNA. Here we go. Get a TNA conversation in there, Gary. Well, as well. <laughs> you too can join the conversation in about a week's time and hold him to that date as well. <laughs> so I'll be ready. Said it now, Gary, next, it's happening. Next Sunday. He'll be ready. <laughs> there we go. Uh, well, speaking of Sting, actually, there were rumours that he was going to be turning up at, uh, at AEW. Uh, I was going to say, for the, for the people uh, listening along live and uh, actually for the podcast as well, this is not going to be a short one. We've got a lot of subjects to get into today. Uh, we are going to be talking the Owen Hart documentary and Owen Hart in general later. We are going to be talking the really sad Hannah Kimura stuff, but we are talking and uh, AEW is kind of our main big review as well. Um, but Sting kind of fits back into the AEW stuff. I was convinced he was going to show up at the pay-per-view last night. I'd, I'd take him with one more run in AEW. He doesn't even have to do matches. Just have him turn up every now and then. Like, but once they're in front of crowds again, you know, maybe with the Owen Hart documentary in mind, you probably, maybe it's not the time to be doing the, uh, the Sting stunt entrance. But mm. he's got a use, I think, in AEW. I think I could see that happening. I feel like he could have been the guy to present the uh, the, the TNT title. I don't know if that was the uh, original plan or what. But yeah, rumours are still really 
hard circulating on like some kind of stinging AW relationship. I'd be, I'd be bang off for it. Maybe one match, maybe a match with Cody and done. I would take just to kind of you know because he broke with it was his neck that he broke in that uh, in that Seth Rollins match when Seth yeah. Rollins the fucking dummy decided to do a running power bomb on Sting who was in his what fifties at that point into the turnbuckle wasn't fucking it stupid yeah. yeah into the turnbuckle like. Uh, Daft idea that ended the way you would expect it to. Um, I always thought people were too soft on Seth Rollins for that, to be honest. And Sting for taking the move. But, uh, you know, maybe one match, you know. That Triple H match was the fucking shits as well in WWE. I oh, that see was it. great. Uh, I mean, it was entertaining, but I, I don't know if it was great. I'd like to see him in there with Cody, though. And you know Cody wants it. This is similar to what Joe said about having Kurt Angle having one last match in AEW in terms of a proper send-off. And in some ways, this kind of links in with that. Although, at this particular point in time, there is zero, I wouldn't see any zero benefit of bringing him in. You'd want to be doing that stuff on a live show to kind of give it a little bit of extra special juice, I think, for it. Yeah. Um, Him coming in, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're going full board WCW, then yeah, of course. TNT, there's probably somebody still around working at TNT who, you know, remembers Sting from the Nitro days. You know, mm. yeah, it's a, uh, I'd be fine with it. One match, though. And I think even he himself would say that. And a co- Cody would probably be your safest option. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'd be up for that. Uh, yeah, I'm just hopeful, though. I live in hope. But we did get Mike Tyson. Uh, if we're going to talk this pay-per-view, uh, at least we got that. You know, that was a, that was a big name of the pay-per-view. He's finding the uh, pandemic tiring, isn't he, Tyson? <laughs> <laughs> his, oh, when they caught him yawning on camera, that was brilliant. <laughs> oh, oh, what a man. God, he was a state, wasn't he? During that. And, then he and then he woke up, and then he pulled a couple of sort of memeable reactions, which is probably probably really as much as you're going to get from him it's the most value um, you're going to get in it it was a memeable show to be fair jp from the main event down that's kind of what it was he'll do a match won't he that mm. much is very clear he'll do a match I, obviously i don't want to see a match with him and jake roberts that mm. would be absolutely horrific mm. in every sense of the word but i think he'd be up for doing something a little bit more physical wouldn't he oh, Juice- knocking out a snake i could see that <laughs> Now, that would be seen him do that within the privacy of his own garden, maybe, for shits and giggles. But Imagine the attention it would get if Mike Tyson was battering a snake. <laughs> that would get a mainstream pub. Yeah. You need to be booking my like uh, TWAW game here, JP. Uh, Joe. I need to put you in charge. If I book that, I might turn my ratings round. I might play it myself, but I'm not going to be streaming it for the world. Because <laughs> I don't want to punish people with, you know... <laughs> Me doing a day's admin. Oh <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I don't think the animal rights groups would be too happy about it. But Probably you know not. what? I'd fucking laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the pay-per-view in general, did, did we all watch at least some of it live? I stayed up for the entire thing in the end. It ran late. It was another one of those pay-per-views where it's very annoying, where you've got Americans complaining it's getting near midnight their time. And I don't think I was in bed till half five last night. Um, mm. I basically slept all of the day tonight. Did we all at least attempt it? I know, Gareth, I'd imagine you were up for the full thing. Uh, although, I, did, you, did you doze off for any point? <laughs> Sleep behind yeah. the grapple wheel, was, was it? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I, I did all right. I got, I, got as, uh, I got as far as the start of the main event, but I was about oh. nine beers by that point. Um, mm. So, uh, so I, th- I suddenly woke up and, the, you know, the, it was literally just like 
the end of the match was happening um, on, on, on the last one. So I d- didn't do too bad there, apart from when I looked at the thing this morning and I said double or, double or nothing 2,000 on the app kind of thing. So that <laughs> needed to be hastily changed there because the beers had sent me like 20 years in the past on on that one. But yeah, I no, managed to managed to stay up and watch it all. Just just about caught, caught up on the main event this morning. Oh, good lads. I mean, to be honest, that's a point on a date. I hadn't really realised until people said it, but AEW is a proper company. You know, a year ago, there was a double-double or nothing. That doesn't feel like a year ago at this point. Like, mm. I know, obviously, the last quarter of their f- debut full year has not gone the way that uh, you would be hoping for it to go, but amazing that it's been around, uh, around a year at this point. Like, uh, in this in this incarnation, I know the TV came later, but it's kind of crazy, yeah, that we're already at, like, uh, one year of AEW being a thing and turning from a T-shirt company into an actual wrestling promotion. And and it feels quite established mm. at this point. They feel like they've got roots. I was thinking about this looking at the show tonight, about the people they've managed to build up internally as kind of like fresh stars. They've had some stuff that's worked, that hasn't worked. They've kind of at least learned from their mistakes. They've mm. they've done very like obviously getting the TV deal and everything else. They've had as good a first year as you could reasonably expect mm. of a, of a startup which is going to have so many kind of problems along the way. I would say the sound on their TV shows is always is, is an issue and something that they do need to look at. But for the most part, like the product they put out is it's up there with WWE. It kind of, they, it, they've managed to kind of give it a level of credibility immediately for how they've actually sort of produced their product. And yet a year and they've, and they'd already signed that $45 million deal, which God, where would they be without that at the moment? Mm. That guaranteed income, Jesus Christ. It'd be scary times. Oh, we joke about TNA. Yeah, imagine TV, if this but... happened a year. Oh, yeah. I imagine, yeah, that, that would sink them. If it happened before that that TV renewal, you know, earlier this year, that'd sink them as well. Uh, but, yeah, I was going to say, we just joked about TNA there and, like, this year of AEW, it's like how many light years ahead of, of really any year TNA had, maybe apart from that little mini period where they seem to be getting a bit of bit of success and traction. What was it, 2010, something like that? Uh, before yeah, the, mate. The wheels Every came year. off. Come on. Yeah, I come mean, on. they had years, to come be fair. On. They had years where, remember when they were on Spike? They were doing, they're, they're, honestly, mm. Joe, there are weeks of impact that did better. Yeah. Th- that have done better than AEW and have done better than hours of Raw in 2020. Like, but. You know, Let's also think about what TV viewership was at that point overall. Let's think about, uh, you know, I don't think core cuttings is as big a deal as people make out, mm. but sort of more entertainment options generally definitely are. The rise of streaming services, etc. I think you can't compare the two because of the um, the different era that both existed in. But also the thing with TNA is look at the conversion of TV viewers to pay-per-view yeah, guys. Never happened, no one took it seriously based on that, if you ask me. And no one was ever invested in TNA, apart from JP, because <laughs> no one ever bought the pay-per-views because there wasn't anything that was, you know, on the marquee that was interesting enough or felt big enough for people to, you know, go and actually buy the pay-per-view and that to me shows that they were never able to convert mm. anywhere near enough people out of that sort of average of a million that they were getting on spike a week to actually invest in their product and spend money on their product and look at their attendances look at their house shows look at the fact they stayed in the impact zone look at what AEW have done in a year mm. touring touring the US mm. I think if AEW came in yeah TNA did well here but I think AEW would do 
better here as well because the product's hotter um, for starters. And I could never take TNA seriously because as soon as someone with a bit of name value turned up, oh, let's bow down, kiss his feet, Hogan and pretend like it's the yeah. mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, o- they well, overperformed. Mm. That's what TNA did. They overperformed. Especially they, over here. There was no... There was no way that they ever should have got onto Spike TV in the first place, really, for the kind of company and product. It says a lot that there was no other wrestling product out there for them to be able to go to, that effectively they were the kind of default option as a number two. Mm. But the entire... Yeah, isn't that a bit sad, though? Oh, well, it was bleak times across the industry, wasn't it? Because WWE hasn't felt anything close to competition. You know, that first week, I think when Hogan was on and they did the gang getting back together and then oh, they had that fourth of January Monday night Nash oh, Hall and uh, Hogan in the in the trainees all up. Exactly. And they and they you know they they had um all, all of that stuff. But ultimately they really there's so many times they should have died. Mm. It's incredible they're still alive today. Mm. It really is. It makes no, like it, it's kind of baffling how they still exist, but they effect, effectively exist as just a it's a TV product mm-hmm. for a niche channel, a niche cable channel, and it's really nothing more than that. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah. bring it back around on the TNA. Always, go to AEW. Always. Good work. Yeah. No, it's I relevant, don't disagree, but they overperformed. I'm going to say that. They didn't overperform. They underperformed. They never converted that amount of people. They never, they never, got, they never made money, really, let's be honest here. Think mm. of the amount of money that went from Panda Energy. One year. I think they did make money, and that okay. might have been the first year going to spike, and then they was upped that the all Joe their Angle, costs yeah. as soon as they, yeah, and then they upped all their costs trying to get Hogan and Bischoff in and bankrupted them. Yeah, mm. exactly. Like I, I think that saying they ever performed is a is a big claim, big claim. I, I, I think, mean, I think performed the... in the sense they should never have been anything in the first place because they were a relic. It was, shy, a WC... they were <laughs> it was a it was a WCW support group. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> it was WCW support group. Yeah. It just wasn't twelve steps. You walked in. It was a TV show. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what it was. What, what, what I would and probably I loved say WCW, so I was kind of game for going along with it. <laughs> I'll probably say like the, the maybe the language of overperformed is me. Maybe there's a better word. Yeah, but like, consi- there is. Yeah. Considering what they were and how shite it was, it did always shock me how well they did over here. Like they packed those stadiums, and like I think that's a big thing. Like if us lot in the UK were willing to put that into TNA, like Tony Khan said in the press conference, apparently from Double or Nothing, the Fighter Fest was planned to be in London. And I know there've been rumors the last few weeks, uh, people slit and slip that that was originally the plan. Like that's got it. That's an easy win, isn't it, for for AEW and Big Tone to come over here and to and to do and to do the business TNA were doing, but with a much stronger product and a much longer support, stronger support system around it. Would might help with ITV. Yeah, might well, help if ITV, I think uh, ITV four were willing to show something on that, or is it just going to be on fight? I think box office um, being gone kind of tells you what the where ITV are. Uh, I mean, there was no um, the buy-in wasn't even on ITV four this time round. I don't know if they're uh, they're particularly interested yet, but I would be interested. Like on that point of like, so uh, I was going to say, Gareth, on that on that point of like. Uh, you know, AW kind of having that strong base. Their strong base is the fact that no matter what happens, 
they've probably got a hundred thousand people who buy their pay-per-views like i, I don't know whether there's, it's going to be different now in a pandemic but they've got that that kind of that strong base that they've then turned into a tv product and they've turned into you know a, a strong business for their first year but I, I honestly think that's like that's a big thing going for them and i think this this pay-per-view is going to be a an interesting test i suppose to see how loyal that that 100k is gareth yeah, um, and I, I think a big thing as well that like comes out of that is you know is just thinking about the the model and it been through things like like fight and obviously in in, in America and um, but, but the platforms there it's just been a little bit kind of like more on demand and everyone seems to like focus on the the weekly ratings and on a Wednesday they like focus on the you know AW versus NXT rating war or whatever that comes out there but I think obviously you know you're talking about TNA ratings there going back ten years ago but. I think the world's very different now, isn't it? And, you know, we are very kind of like on demand and we watch things when we want to watch them as well. And people sort of don't seem to err too much when you're looking at the analysis on, on the Wednesday ratings about people watching it on their DVRs the next day, the day after. You know, I know from seeing on the app, you know, the way that the the ratings come through, like it's with with AW, it's like this steady flow that comes through, out, through a number of days. It's not like mm. everyone sat there watching it live in the moment. And it's the same with the pay-per-views as well. Literally, it'll just trickle through over the course of like, you know, three or four days over the weekend. People aren't that bothered about, oh, it's got to, I've got to watch it now when it's on. And, you know, whether that's a TV product or the, or the pay-per-view. And, you know, I think that's something that's taken into account as well. There's, there's people and they might buy it, but they might not necessarily watch it watch it live they might watch it when they want to watch it as well really so i think it's a it's a different model too and i think that the demographic and the audience that aw's got they are like consuming media in a different way to when you see the you know the wwe ratings and the nxt ratings and you see that sort of over 50s group that are there still there static and you know watching that product live and things like that it's shown that they're you know the old people sort of stuck in their ways watching it when it's on and you know i think there there, there is a, a different generation out there consuming things differently yeah, I think you're right, Gareth. I've thought that all along with AEW. You look at the way that the AEW ratings change when there's a big TV event on. I think it was um, NBA affected ratings one week, but the NXT rating didn't really change. I know when there's been uh, sort of political stuff going on where Trump's been on doing his usual, uh, you know, uh, snake oil salesman bollocks for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, <coughs> they their ratings have been affected then as well so to me it tells me that you've got a group of people like maybe like us who would be watching it like people who love wrestling but also have other interests and other things that they might prioritize in life so they don't have to be there at that time and to me that's the refreshing thing about aw it's uh there to appeal to an audience who don't have to fully invest and pretend that they live in a world that is dominated by, by that promotion such as WWE, let's say, and it's a product that exists in the real world, not in its own fucking universe, as they like to tell us over and over again. And to me, that's why I still like the product, is why I probably enjoyed the pay-per-view to some degree, because it feels like you've got actual human beings uh, watching this show at this point in time, and it feels like it's run by human beings. And I think you hit the nail on the head they sort of seem to understand that people are watching this in different ways and people are coming to uh, sort of media with a different experience at this point in time, especially that younger audience. I think they are in touch with a younger audience and how current audiences who are a little bit older actually consume media in this day and age, whereas I really don't think the WWE have any idea at the moment. 
Yeah, but that's that's the way the big opportunity is, and that's where WWE is lost. And you see it in like the, even in just the Wednesday night ratings, you see it in you know what NXT does. You know with the I know everyone gets sick of you know pundits talking about demos and stuff, but you see like how old the people watching WWE are, like you say, Joe, and how just how not current that whole product feels and AEW have really in this first year have, have, have really stepped into that role in a way that yeah TNA before them never did and nobody else really has been able to to take advantage maybe of that gap in the market the the WWE left but I mean we should talk about the uh, the show itself I mean I would I, I would for me I would say this was a show the best the best overall show of this pandemic period is that strong to say i don't know if there is really there's not a huge amount of co- uh, competition is there but i certainly i know it was long yeah and we can get into that but i do feel like it was the easiest watch of all the pandemic shows like they had people in the crowd which always helps with with aw you know whether you morally agree with that or not we've had that conversation uh, i know the test that everybody still feels a bit weird to have so many people in a crowd stood around each other but i think that helps that kind of continuous noise and i think something about the setting here you know it, it was a bigger building um but there was something you know having the, the pyro and you know, the football um uh, football pitch stuff that we'll we'll talk about in a bit as well i don't know this was the most watchable pandemic show easily by far me it was i was it was the least distracted i've been at any point by the fact that there's not a live crowd there were definitely points in the show when i just wasn't thinking about it at all and i can't really say that for any other show that i've watched during this period especially that that wrestlemania that you uh sat through with us gareth i mean i i had agree i think it was like one of the um you know probably one of the best maybe the best show I watched i think there was a part of it at the start when it was a bit slower at the start and it i think because it's the same setting and things like that it just felt, i felt like i was watching dynamite or something right. like that i think at the, at, the, at the start and i think that was the only thing at first it kind of took me a little bit to kind of get into it being though this is a special event this is you know and it, i think once the once the matches started to to improve and things like that and as the, as the show went on kind of forgot it a bit more but um but now, nah, you know, overall, I think, you know, it definitely when you when you look at the matches, certainly like the last three that were on there, like enjoyed the hell out of them and totally just forgot really that we're watching it in a in a, in a situation where there's there's no crowd. And like, I, I know, like when when I'm sitting up to do these shows, like my, my wife is a, is a layman almost kind of thing. She'll watch the first two or three matches sort of thing that were on. And she was like, she was really engaged at the start. You know, she was saying this looks so much different to. WWE and WrestleMania, it just looks better. It just looks like livelier. Obviously, the people that were in the crowd just gave it that little bit of atmosphere. And she was saying, God, these have really got the kind of, they've got the knack here about, you know, produce this. And, you know, she was even talking about things like camera angles and stuff like that as well. So I was thinking, God, if she's sitting there picking up on all this and, you know, she was talking about the commentary as well. And, Mm. you know, she felt that that really kind of brought you into it a little bit more. They seemed like they were sort of, I don't know, selling the events, selling the stories a bit more as well and things. I think that's something where they, they, they have improved. And, that, you know, I think, um, um, you know, definitely, again, to see that sort of come through as someone who's not as invested in the product as we would be. It's, you know, it's always good and interesting to see those opinions, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think a big thing for me is, like, if, we're gonna, if these shows are going to exist, if these, you know, corners are going to be cut with, you know, social distancing and if we're going to be trying to make people get on planes in a pandemic and make them fly out to Florida um, and go through all those risks, the least they could do is make it good. And I think AEW, like for the part, have made it good, JP. I think overall, I think they this is... 
I know you've you've actually been you've been enjoying the TV. I think a lot more than any of us really these last few weeks. Um, mm. And I feel like this pay per view is maybe the the culmination of maybe them them learning lessons both from WWE and from their own TV. Yeah, probably so. I would I would agree. Although I would say that there are issues around the show itself and a couple of kind of gaps i think and things for them to think about uh, right. for things i think they may be missing one of which i would say is technical wrestling um it felt like there was a kind of sameness with going outside and having kind of wild mm. brawls and the rest of it that that for me felt it kind of was grating that it was too much of a get out to get around actual wrestling in the ring at times that that was too much of a tendency um on the yeah but on the whole i kind of thought given that these shows kind there, there is a ceiling to them yeah. they're not going to be i I'm, i just can't imagine a five star classic in this kind of environment it's very hard for me to uh, think there's some ratings on grapple for that main event i'm just saying <laughs> there will and and people are able to do it and i did i would dis, i would disagree sort of on the whole with that but i i would just say with with in terms of that kind of bar mm. like i had a kind of lower expectancy for it i was more kind of look i'm happy to be kind of easily entertained and i'm hoping the atmosphere is good and like you said that constant noise really helped and it helped me switch out particularly when things were getting good in certain matches i was a much easier able to focus on it so there was a couple of matches that i liked it was good then at times there was stuff on there that you just kind of go this shouldn't be on this card. This shouldn't be anywhere near a kind of pay-per-view for it. But I think it's as it's as good as you could reasonably expect of a company putting on a putting on a pay-per-view. And say about the commentary, they sound like they're having a really good time. Yeah. And maybe it's just me. Jim Ross sounds so much happier than I've I've heard him in quite some time. Joe put me on to the podcast he did with um, Chris Jericho, and in that. I don't know if there's a cathartic effect about the book and everything else and being able to talk about a lot of stuff that he had kind of been going through as well, Mm. but he seemed much more willing to kind of accept the more nonsensical side and a little bit more lighthearted than perhaps what he would have been like in terms of grumpy JR. Shivani's like he's having the time of his life Mm. and the chemistry is working better as well with Excalibur who they treat as a peer. And it's quite nice to see them do that because it gives Excalibur that kind of credibility. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think the commentary actually makes us a much easier watch as well. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like you're watching something with people that you sort of trust, and the voices are kind of familiar yeah, and quite that. nice to hear. Where. Whereas when I hear Michael Cole, I think to myself, how has this man been employed in this company for 23 years when he's been absolute shy for all 23 of them? Like, <laughs> and I just think of Vince and I think about how every other commentator is just ruined. They start off good and then they just die like within like a year because they lose all their credibility. And the AEW commentators are credible. I think JR's got better over the year. I think Shivani is clearly quite excited by the the product Mm -hmm. and seems like he's having this really enjoyable sort of indian summer to his career like tony shivani the renaissance years if anything (laughs) and yeah that does make it easier like for me the show as as a whole like i gotta say i wasn't excited for it um because i haven't watched any of this kind of pandemic wrestling really since wrestlemania apart from the odd uh, bit of wwe when i've uh, wanted to destroy some wwe on this podcast so (laughs) I wasn't 
pumped going into it but then as soon as i started watching i was like actually this is a this is all right like this is easy to watch like i don't necessarily agree with the approach but then at the same time you look at florida as a state and florida as a state and ron DeSantis have been an absolute disgrace throughout this and that goes on to a wider issue but the actual crowd noise that was there broke the show up to some extent and it felt like they were working for that tiny bit of crowd as well as for the fact they were working for a smaller crowd whereas when i've seen tiny clips from wwe they're still working as if there's a crowd there and it's Mm. like what just exists in this weird other world it's almost like watching dystopian wrestling watching wwe in that kind of empty arena and it just feels like AEW, like i said exists in the real world now at the same time would i rather be watching an old wrestling show with a crowd yeah, probably. I, you know, if you, you said to me, um, go and watch, well, we watched Canadian Stampede recently. Watch that. Yeah, I'm probably going to enjoy that more. Or I've got lined up, uh, I've been watching SummerSlam 97 since I've continued with it. I'm probably going to enjoy that more to some extent as well. But as far as current wrestling goes, I got more out of it than I kind of went into the show thinking I was going to get out of it. Mm. There were a couple of matches I skipped. I got What did I watch? I watched Cody versus Lance Archer. They went to bed. And when I got up this morning, I skipped through the Chris Statlander match. I skipped the uh, Dustin Rhodes match. Yeah, and I watched the matches that I thought would be after. Yeah, I could tell. I looked at the grapple right shout. beforehand. And every match that I watched was enjoyable in a different way as well. There was nothing that I thought was samey. There was nothing that I thought was too similar. Um, it was absolutely fine. And you know what? Fair played a big swell. She absolutely awesome as like a sort of like hype person in that crowd, getting people going, getting people on the side of the baby faces. Like, thank God she was there. And yeah, it was an enjoyable show overall, I thought. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all you can kind of ask for in this in this environment. And it was, I don't know, maybe I'm a hypocrite because I've been as vocal as anybody about how these shows shouldn't take place. But I was kind of glad that show took place last night. It was nice. It was nice to have something to look forward to. And it was nice to kind of watch it live and it to actually reward me for watching it live and be entertaining. Uh, I was a big critic of the show, even taking place in the first place. I would, I, I still agree with myself that I would rather this was June or July. I wish they went so gung-ho with going with it. But I think given the circumstances, yeah, I don't think I could have uh, asked for any more. I mean... I was going to say, like, we're going to go through this show. I mean, we will go through it in order. Do you want to do the main... I feel like the main event's the most important. Do you want to do the main event first and then go through the rest of the show? I, I can't... To be honest, part of me is just I want to know your opinions on the main event, Joe. Uh, I don't know. Calling it live on air while we, are, right. while we are live on Twitch and live on Periscope and uh, live on YouTube as well. I feel, I feel like, yeah, call it live on air. I just want to talk about this main event. This is the thing I'm most excited to chat about. Um, and I was uh, very much wondering which way you were going to come out of it, Joe, as well as a main event. Because I've got... I'm not, I'm not one of them five-star people. I've got some critiques for it. But I'm... Cl- you know, I really enjoyed it. Like, it's going to be... You know, if you can star rate it as a thing, I think it is going to be a an above four star match. Uh, where it lands, I haven't actually fully decided myself. Maybe I'll convince myself uh, during this chat. But yeah, I don't know, Joe. I just that main event. Like I, I did think to watch. I did think you watching it today. Maybe not watching it live. Maybe watching it a little bit spoiled. Uh, I wondered where you were going to go with it. Oh, I knew uh, nothing about. Oh, didn't you know anything? Oh, 
JP almost you you posted that a horse. No, I I posted the, uh, like a video in our in our chat today. And JP mentioned mentioned something about horses, but we didn't. We were I, we were I, I said the theme the theme for this should be my lovely horse. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Oh, yeah. It was hardly a spoiler. I had no idea what he was yeah. about. I was like, eh, horses? Like, is he back in Ireland again or something here? Oh, hello. Uh, there we go. Uh, sorry, JP. Probably get a slap for that one, won't I? Um, no, I've got to say, uh, it's interesting that you went straight to me there, Bella. Indulge me, um, John. <laughs> the, the last current wrestling match, if you can call it a wrestling match, that I watched was the Money in the Bank match. And, you know, it couldn't get any lower than that, in my opinion. The darkest moment in the history of WWE wrestling, if you ask me. I know they don't like wrestling. Not in terms of their business practices, but in terms of what was produced for a wrestling audience. That is the worst thing they've ever produced, in my opinion. Now, this put that to absolute shame. Because what this was, was something that was completely different. Mm. But it was a match where there was a lot of humour... But the humour was humour that was self-aware and that understood its audience. Because this humour was designed for the audience, for the guys, but it wasn't humour that was designed for one man and one man only. So the Money in the Bank match, the humour felt like... It was designed for Vince McMahon because, you know, you've got to impress the mighty dictator as if you live in North Korea. Whereas here it was for a mass audience who would be watching that. And I laughed several times during this. My girlfriend was sat next to me playing her Animal Crossing while uh, I was watching this. And she kind of laughed at the Hangman Page bit when he was chasing Sammy Guevara with the horse. That was great. I thought that was hilarious. She finds Chris Jericho funny. She found Chris Jericho hilarious in his American football gear. Like, what wasn't funny about that? She was a bit confused by the Matt Hardy stuff, which yeah, I kind of had to explain to her. I did sort of laugh at that a little bit as well. Like, the references that were in there, there was an element of nuance to them. It wasn't Brother Love walking out of a toilet. It wasn't Paul Heyman looking at the worst buffet ever. None of those references in any context. Maybe they had some context with Vince. Maybe he finds the thought of Bruce Pritchard in Brother Love get taking a shit hilarious. So they just threw that in there to please Vince, you know, as you do. But this felt like it was designed for the audience who understand the characters, understand the character motivations and the character roles. And every single person this match played their character to perfection, if you ask me, played their role to perfection, understood what that role was and was completely in touch and engaged with what that character was. That was what made the match fun. That was what made the match enjoyable. And there was enough variety in there changes a pace um and it kept surprising me as well so you know i really got into the match i really enjoyed it in terms of pandemic wrestling it was probably one of the best probably the best thing that i've seen along, along with the moxie Brody lee match if you ask me i thought this was really good i'd even go as far as to say it probably exceeded the undertaker aj match which i'll always oh. have great memories of because that was a hilarious match for many reasons but at the same time the fact that this was m more self-aware than that made it for me after seeing that undertaker documentary you know <laughs> uh, it down a i bit. prefer these i'd rather hang around with these lads than i ever would the fucking undertaker put it that way <laughs> fair enough yeah i i absolutely love this thing i, I just think like yeah i thought that, like sammy guevara was probably my, if, if you had a man of the match for this thing it'd be him yeah. 
Like throughout mm-hmm. the thing, he was incredible. Like you mentioned them, that that just that whole scene with Hangman turning up on the horse. Like I was, I don't, I, a bit like Gareth. I had a few beers at that point. Uh, I, I'd managed to keep awake for it though. And like yeah, like I was pissing <laughs> myself laughing at that. And like I know it was slapstick, but I thought he was great. The bit where he, he woke up on the field and thought he'd won, thought that was incredible. <laughs> I thought Jericho was brilliant as well throughout the match. You know his stuff with the uh, with the mascots. Like that's always gonna get a get a laugh out of me. Uh, the bit I, with Aubrey was. Great right as well oh yeah with the um, yeah. doing the instant replay that was a little bit hokey because that was a thing for me i thought they got the tone perfectly right it was light-hearted but it was still a match i feel like maybe the matt hardy bits especially took me out of that a little bit and i thought the aubrey's bit as funny as it was took me out a little bit but i think it's just where your line in the sand maybe is for like you know whether you can lose yourself in something like this but it, it didn't ruin it for me in any way like there was there was so much good stuff in this one i absolutely loved it um and it's a hard one to rate on grapple i don't know what you're seeing on the uh, on the stats mm. Gareth, uh, <laughs> overnight but it's a real uh, it's a real head scratcher for me because it wasn't was it a match it kind of was but it kind of wasn't it was just but it was entertaining it was what the world needed it was 40 minutes of just you know I hate to say the word, but fun. It was fun. It was a. It was a good time, and it, it did feel like yeah, what the uh, what the world needed last night. Really, maybe at the end of a four hour pay per view, might have been a hard sell. But I, but I think they nailed it. I think you know, I've got I've got minor critique that I'll get to later. But there's plenty, plenty to love about this thing. Yeah, I mean, currently on the app, it's like four point three eight average from over, wow. over three hundred rating. So it's pretty high. I mean, I loved it. I went four and a half on it myself. Like I just. You know, just like you say, fun. I just like enjoyed it throughout. It was just as well as like the humor side of it. Obviously, just like little little things in there that were making you laugh. I think one of the big distinctions between this and what we saw with like the Money in the Bank thing was that it was still wrestling at its core. They were still actually wrestling. There was still wrestling moves and mm. things like that that they were doing. So it was almost like it kind of flowed a bit better in that there was like a bit of comedy, bit of actual wrestling, bit mm. of wrestling-based comedy kind of thing. And this it sort of like wove into each other quite well. And I just thought it was quite, it almost, not that it's like genuine logic to something like that, but it just felt more logical because of the way they used the setting and things like that. So the jokes they set up, they had purpose and things because they were doing things that were based on a prop that would be in an American football stadium, you know, doing something, you know, moonsault off the goalposts or doing something with the, you know, when the, um, with, with like the line maker and things like that, when they painted over, was it Jericho <laughs> oh, yeah. on the floor yeah. and things, just little things like that. They were just using the props, using the surrounds as opposed to, you know, like we were talking about last time in, in the Money in the Bank where it was all just a bit like, where's that come from? It was just all felt a bit like gratuitous and just out of nowhere. Where certain things no were. context. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, one of the things that made it funny for me as well was just some of the little things that were just clearly just organic and they're just little one-liners that people are saying. And that's because it's coming from the brain straight out of the mouth of a 28-year-old wrestler or 35-year-old wrestler, not some 70-year-old man's written that he wants somebody to say that's referencing some film from 1935 or yeah. something like that. You know, it was So it just made it feel a bit cooler and edgier or if it was a bit corny or a bit like hokey, then you kind of were with them. It was a bit tongue-in-cheek kind of thing as well and you were sort of sharing the joke with them as opposed to being like, what the fuck are you on about kind of thing, really? So, mm. But then still, when they were brawling and when they were wrestling and things like that, it was good. They were putting, like, they were, with the placement of, like, high spots and things like that were really good as well. Like, I love this. I've like I've watched it twice today. I'm definitely going to watch it again tomorrow, kind of thing. And you know, I'm saying to my kids, watch this, watch this, kind of thing as well. Whereas clearly, wasn't doing that with uh, with with money in the bank. 
Where do you land on it, JP? Yeah, you haven't. You, I think you'd you'd gone to bed at this point as well. Do you watch this thing this morning? Oh yeah. Do you yeah. watch it unspoiled? So, uh yeah, I watched it unspoiled. Um, and and the funny thing is, even if I did see any kind of gifts or anything else, it would have been very clear that it wouldn't have made any sense within the context of the match, which is actually quite great. Mm. You can't really get spoiled in gift form unless you're looking at about three hundred of them in a row. Mm. I really like this, and I think as much as anything else, I heard. Um, one of the things about it is it came across at exactly the right time. Mm. If you think about the week, think about the greater context of, of sort of how people were feeling, perhaps going into that pay-per-view in general, outside of it. And do you know what it was? It was a bloody good laugh. And I found myself smiling from beginning to end. And I was up for that. Mm. I was well up for seeing something like that. It didn't. What I didn't want war games. An empty war games oh, around me. It didn't need to be yeah. that. They read... Do you know what they did? They read the room. Mm. They read the room with what people wanted in this. And it's not a classic match. I've gone star rating wise. I went 4.25 because I possibly think that is the high bar perhaps for comedy wrestling, which is ultimately what this is, is a comedy match. And I think and I think it's there. But it does have wrestling stuff in there. And like you mentioned about the comedy being organic, part of the issue, um, uh, like in terms of that kind of organic nature is they're willing to kind of, want to know what their audience how they think and how they feel mm. and it just proves how disconnected wwe are from that as well and so this needed to be comedy based it needs to be very ddt i was reminded of the takagi versus um suzuki suzuki match in the tokyo dome which was kind of similar with the skits and everything else but being kind of done in real time and organically and i think that tenor in a spot on it and it's, and it's all kind of very silly here the references you get, they just change and change primarily for a Western audience. So it kind of works like a kind of very good remake, if that makes any sense, um, of something that DDT have kind like of already... Like departed to the Infernal Affairs, possibly. Possibly, but I, you, you know my... I'm not as mad on um, The Departed, but I love Infernal Affairs. We, we, we disagree on that one very much. But there was... It was fun. Everyone in the match clearly loved it. Mm. It was... Everyone there watching it was having a bloody good laugh. The entrances, there was so much. I'm like oh. writing notes on this, looking through. From the moment I saw the entrances, I went, I'm going to like this. I'm going to give it oh, five yeah. on Jericho, <laughs> when, when, I, when I heard that and I saw what they did with the cheerleaders and the marching band, which I don't assume anybody lives nearby, it would have sounded a bit weird because it would have been, what, three in the morning they'd been recording for some of this stuff. <laughs> when he came out with the smoke, in a circle... You just love them. Talk about making, like, the being more than the sum of your parts. Oh, yeah. And with Jericho there, just kind of going, right, this is what we're going to do. They all feel relaxed. They, Like Joe said, this is like watching an incredibly good ensemble, but people who perhaps aren't as heralded as as other actors within this manage to get stuff to stand out, and that's where you're Sammy Guevara. That's where Ortiz comes into the mix. That's where Santana comes into the mix. Even Hager who I'm not particularly mad on. But do you know what? That barroom stuff, I was oh, fine was with. The buckshot was really good. The bar slide was really good. Mate, it was like Roadhouse. Oh, I was watching yeah. it thinking, oh, like, Handman Page is Swayze here, or Dalton. Was, oh, that's it's what so name, cool. It, the, way, the way he slid the drink over to Swagger, like just like that kind of like, not respect, but like 
go on, I'll give you a drink. That whole, yeah. like, that could have been terrible. That whole, that could have been one of the moments that broke it for me, but I loved it. Like, I loved that, that just, that stop, and then it turned into the barroom fight, and you're right, it was like, it, it was like a film at that point, and it was creative, yeah. and it, and it, it was wrestling for its part when Kenny turned up, and they did that double-team buckshot lariat, and, you know, they did the, the standard throwing him across the bar spot. I loved that. That was a real highlight of me for, the, for me for the match. Oh, yeah. I have to say, in terms of the first move of the match had me on it, which was when they were running at each other, which was an oh, amazing visual. What a visual, yeah. And the first thing you could see was Sammy, Garara, Sammy Guevara doing a drop kick. And I was just like, I oh, fucking get in, get in. <laughs> and I just found myself laughing at that point, and I was sold. Yeah. And, like, there are small things to nitpick if you're going to talk about the idea where Hangman Page went for so long and ah, stuff like that. Fits his character. These are, these are small things. It's like watching Aeroplane. Not every joke lands, but you're being hit with so many and so many of them hit that you're happy to kind of watch this and you let any stuff that you're not mad about, you slide. Mm. So if you weren't particularly mad on the Matt Hardy bit, do you Mm. know what? It didn't drag on for too long that it would kind of upset you, that you'd just be like, fine, this will be over soon enough. And yeah, I've got loads of different sort of moves and stuff on here. That absolute fucking bonkers one-winged angel which i was kind of glad that it was that they all focused on sammy in the end who deserves to be a really great star and when i watch him and i see like a you know some of those younger wrestlers and jungle boy mjf and whatnot those were little things that i kind of enjoyed it was like watching i don't know you watch an under 21s game or you watch like sort of young players in a premier league side breakthrough and they do well. You're like, I get it. You're talking good. about yourself here. <laughs> Generally. You're saying you, yeah. but I think you mean the Royal, is there a Royal you? I think you mean you. <laughs> I, I do think I literally mean me. It's like when Joe gets a text that Michael Obafemi's starting for Southampton and he's like, and I've got no thoughts on this issue. Why would I care? <laughs> I've probably got thoughts, but yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not quite as interested as you are, even though I support the club. Mm. Uh, yeah. The way I thought of this match was it was like a great sketch comedy piece. Mm. It reminded me of like a sort of far show or a Harry Enfield or something like a show we don't really get anymore where you've got all of these individual parts that come under the same umbrella and they all fit together quite nicely. And you've got different styles and forms of comedy that might take place in the different sketches throughout the show they all fit together and that's what i meant when i said everyone knows their role as well mm. like jp's praised sammy Guevara already but as the slapstick guy he is he's getting over uh and he's going to be something special because like people are going to respect what he's done what he's doing right now and it's the fact that these guys are still over with the audience during a global pandemic they've managed to stay over without fans being there like you think about how we're talking about these guys now and i think that's a good barometer for it like i didn't realize when i was watching this just how much i'd missed watching hangman page the last couple of months Mm. i was really invested in that character in that story arc that they had going on with him and when i saw him again it was like oh actually i have kind of missed watching this stuff Mm. like they've got a good character here and they've got someone that i've really grown to like surprisingly as well so it's never that high in him previously and it was just quite nice to see this again after a couple month break if anything so yeah i i think that praise where praise is due because 
the lightheartedness of this and the fact that they've kind of gone right we need to adapt what we're doing rather than just stubbornly go forward with it it's like i'm going to use a professional i don't know if i should go down this route but i will i found that during the pandemic as a teacher trying to make what works in a classroom work online Mm. is impossible lots of people really have and it's been hard and people haven't enjoyed it. So me and JP have changed things up and we've tried to employ a different mindset. And that's what AEW have done here. They've adapted things. They've changed things up. They've seen that what works in one environment doesn't work in another. And they're growing and they're getting to understand this the more this goes on. You know, I don't want this to go on forever. I want crowds to be back, but I can absolutely see still why people would watch this on a week-by-week basis at this point, even though I might tune into a Dynamite occasionally after this, but I won't. But I can absolutely see why you guys might. Yeah, and you'll watch the pay-per-views. That's the thing, isn't it? Like They put, they put yeah. Fighter Fest on, you'll be watching it, uh, and you'll have yeah, absolutely. You know, a reasonable expectation of quality, which I don't think you've really got with WWE right now. Um, I was going to say, like to, to, maybe to put a line under the match, because we could probably talk all night about all the, the great different spots. Like I, There were so many little things in it that I loved. I lo- like, like, like I think JP just said there about like the inner circle and the match, the fact that they are better than the, the sum of the parts, the fact that... like. I keep calling them LAX. They're not LAX anymore, but they are still in my heart. But then wearing like the fifty-one fifty jumpers and the, the little touches like that, just and right, just right, like you said, right from the start, they grabbed me with with kind of just the dynamics of the two teams and just it, it's ten people I'm fully invested in and ten people who you know I've been watching more of the TV than you, Joe, but I've still you know been missing you know weeks week to week. I've not been you know fully engaged, but I am fully engaged in all these characters. And it was like having an old like having old friends back. You know, seeing the books back out there, seeing Hangman Page back out there. Uh, it really, really added something to the match for me. And yeah, it was a. I think the big thing for the match for me was the creativity, and I think there's positives and negatives to it. Like. Uh, a bit, maybe a problem with the match. I think it was a positive. It going almost forty minutes was maybe a touch long. I felt yeah, like I'd agree with that. I felt like it was a match where there were a lot of good ideas and no real editor, which is is a theme we kind of say with AEW a lot. Where it's like, did we? Could we just not have chopped? We might have chopped five good minutes, but could we have chopped five minutes? You know, maybe the people- Matt Hardy bit with yeah, uh, LAX. That's where I'm going. Thinking, yeah, I, I laughed a bit, and then I was like, "Oh, this is going on a bit." That- Even my girlfriend, who was, you know, on her animal cross at that point in time, yeah. looked up and said, "This bit's gone on a bit." I was like, "Yeah, yeah it has, hasn't it?" That's, like, that's the part. Th- there was a lot there that could have been chopped. I thought that's where you need. Maybe a bit more of a, I don't know, a, a harsh eye for editing. Um, not that we can talk. I mean, this podcast is probably going to go three and a half hours. So, you know, maybe yeah, people in glass houses should throw stones. Yeah. But every, every week is Michael Cimino week, isn't it, on, on <laughs> well, Grapple Spotlight? Well, that's the thing, JP. I don't mind criticism. So if somebody wants to make a podcast criticising our podcast, they can say uh, that all yeah. they want. And they can have a go at the length of our podcast. It's not a problem. Um, but I, I do I do think that I do think... I don't the know, ma- have they ever podcasted before, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> I think you need that, don't you, JP, to be qualified to have an opinion. I believe that's uh, that's how these things work. Um, but yeah, I think the Matt Hardy stuff was my real like. They almost lost me. Like I like Matt Hardy. I find them very entertaining. But let's all be honest, this is a gimmick that got over in TNA four years ago at this point. 2016 was when this gimmick was at its height. And yes, WWE didn't give it the spotlight it deserved when he came in so over and they botched it. I understand why AEW are thinking we can get this right. It's just a bit late for it, to be honest. And, I th- the, you know, the 
the Laker reincarnation stuff, we haven't we didn't get a chance to talk Shad Gaspard last week. Um just because we didn't know all of the information. I've seen people kind of link those two things together because of the way he died and it maybe being in poor taste and saying it should have been cut for those reasons. You know, like with WWE when we were talking about the, you know, the Edge Orton match when there was a, a hanging from weight scene. Uh, we kind of said with that, well, how did nobody in the editing process catch that? Maybe nobody in the editing process caught this, or maybe they didn't thought, you know, Matt Hardy's established mm. this as part of his act. You know, people are going to see it as different. You know, that it could have been taken out for those reasons, but for me, like Joe said, I just would have taken it out altogether. It's just, it's it's funny when he's doing the V1 stuff underwater and he's being reincarnated, but it was just, that was the bit where they went a little bit too far with the comedy in the match, and the fact that it was a joke from four years ago kind of loses me as well. But again, I, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I think I'm probably out of the four of us going to give it that, maybe the joint highest grapple rating, at least with, with you, Gareth, but... I'm probably going to go four and a half. That's kind of where I'm leaning right now. But, you know, the reason maybe I'm not I'm not one of those crazy people on Grapple giving it five stars right now is I did think it needed a bit tightening up. And I think that was the most obvious point for me. That was the most obvious. Uh, and it's been Matt Hardy's entire AEW run on Dynamite in general. He just seems like a bit of a relic from four years ago. And yes, I can see why you might think it fits this match. And it wasn't completely, you know, out of the scope of, of things I might have done in this match. But it was absolutely, it's number one on my list if you were going to maybe cut this thing down a little bit. Uh, I don't know where you guys stand on that. Yeah, to, to be fair, I mean, I totally you know, I totally agree on, on on that. I think that was the bit that probably stopped me going even higher, you know, than four mm. and a half kind of thing was that it did drag. And um, I'll, be, I'll be totally honest that, Shag Gaspard thing didn't even cross my mind when I was watching it. it was just, you know, to be fair, it, it took someone to point it out for me. You know, I've got to be honest myself. Yeah. You know, same here as mm, well. Yeah, but I, but I th- but I t- totally agree on the on the Matt Hardy stuff there because I think where we're we're talking a lot of what we're talking about here is it's been fresh and it's been young and we're talking about your Sammy Guevara's and your Darby Allens and mm. etc. MJFs and things and next generation new ideas fresh and. Matt Hardy has stuck out like a sore thumb to me on their product since since he, ca- he came in. Really, as this is an old gimmick, this is an old act. It's something from you know that TNA relic kind of thing almost from mm. for, from that many years ago, and, and it just doesn't feel like it, it. It it fits to me, and like I don't know, even like the the comedy just feels a little bit a, a little bit tired. You know, mm. it's it, it, he he doesn't seem like he's involved evolved the act to what he was doing four years ago in in any way that's particularly like meaningful or or funnier or anything like that really. So yeah, I could definitely have uh, definitely have taken uh, taken that out. Although we wouldn't have had the Ortiz uh, I can't swim line, which was a absolute <laughs> belly laugh for me. That was funny. If, uh, the stuff with the bell that, was funny as well. I would also say. If the Matt Hardy stuff was the worst of that match compared to Money in the Bank, if that's the worst stuff in it... It'd be the best thing in Money in the Bank. Oh, it would stand out. We'd be talking about it as this great segment where it harked back to his past and stuff like that. And he went, yeah, comedy's a bit dated, but fuck me, it was better than everything else. Yeah, It still is, ultimately. Like, I mean, and I agree with you guys on on the whole about it. Is it like, it kind of... I smiled at points. Then there were points I thought it was going a bit over a bit too long. I, I'm never mad on one person tying up two people if it's like kind of like a tag team for it. But by that point as well, that those kind of concerns I might have had if this had been in the confines of a of a of a standard match would bother me more. Mm. In this context, it was what it was setting out to achieve. It it managed to to do. And I think and, when the context is light hearted. 
yeah. you can get away with that stuff about damaging someone's credibility because the context changes and adapts. If this was a regular episode of Dynamite where Matt Hardy overcomes like maybe the tag champs, let's say, on his own, you would kind of question it. It'd be like when I remember Triple H being Cade and Murdoch when they were tag champs in a yeah. handicap match. Or and you're and like, I'm yeah, shocked. You're, and you're like, what? what is the point in the tag team titles mm. at this point in time? And I don't think anyone like would go down <laughs> that route because there seems to be an understanding of why that is a bad thing from, you know, number one, Tony Khan, but also the fact that the Young Bucks are main eventers and they're a tag team, if anything. So I think it's just the context. I think one thing for me is I, I, I enjoyed the lighthearted context. I like the fact that they're really engaged in understanding what content can become memeable, what content can become gifable, mm. what can get them some some attention from that. I think that's a, they're really clued into that. Also, one of the things I really liked about this was how they've been smart enough to kind of merchandise what's going on. So like the cheerleaders all wearing the AEW masks, mm. I thought was a hilarious touch. Yeah. My, girl, my girlfriend noticed that straight away and picked up on it. I was like, oh yeah, that is actually a really funny touch. It makes it stand out a little bit more. It makes it look, kind of tongue-in-cheek and kind of funny but also the fact that the inner circle have got these uh, american football jerseys oh, as well they've got to sell them that, got to sell them they'll be the new oh, dx remember those them. dx ones from like 2000 that everyone was wearing oh, i loved them always should... wanted one me too never got one gutted i wouldn't wear one now because you get associated with old man triple h and Shawn michaels but those things were fucking cool in the day these could be the equivalent oh absolutely <laughs> I never understood what the 69 was on the back for. I was always like, why 69? Why is that on there? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon JP knew. Anywho. No. <laughs> You're a bit older, JP. That's all the joke is. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, of course it is. <laughs> um, speaking of numbers, like I say, what are we going on here? Like, like Gareth, you said the, what you say, the grapple average was 4.38? Was it something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. I don't know. I'm still arguing with myself now. I think I've got. I, I, if I'm if I'm honest with myself, I gave Undertaker and AJ four and a half, and I feel like I enjoyed this pretty much the exact amount. I'm probably I'd tie those two matches as far as enjoyment for for you know through this pandemic period. I think I've got to go four and a half. In fact, I will hit that live on the uh, the grapple up now as we go. <laughs> uh, anyone else going that high? Am I the high man? How about you, Gareth? Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's a, it's, a, it's four and a half for me. And as I'm just flicking through the app here, the last few ratings that have gone in, 4.75, 5, 4.5, 5, 4.5, 4.5, 5, 5, you know, so people out there are loving it, which is, you know, it's it, it's it's good. It's like testament to them putting on something, uh, putting on something really good there, which obviously, again, you know, we talked about like money in the bank. When you looked at that average rating there, the consensus was, yeah, it, it was was poor. Maybe not as uh, low as Joe gave it, but uh, there was, uh, you know, definitely like negative scores across the board there. But it's clear that everyone's, you know, I think the vast majority of people here is, you know, at least given a kind of a four, three point mm. seven fives across the board. So, well, you know, very well received. Yeah, there's no need for me to lobby you for those negative star uh, ratings again tonight, <laughs> Gareth. So don't worry about that. I am probably the low man on this, though, as much as I enjoyed it. I went 3.75. That's fair enough. Um, like, I still really enjoyed it, but I don't know. I think 
there is for me with this type of wrestling a ceiling in terms of how high I'm going to go with a with a star rating. If anything, yeah. I think what I'll also say is the thing that I really want to happen after this is fair play them for taking the light hearted approach. They they've appeared to sort of understand the audience, understand what people want at the moment. When and I don't know when this is going to be, but when crowds can start coming back properly and wrestling returns to normal, I hope they continue the feud because there's really something there with the feud. I think people are into the feud, but I really hope when crowds start going back something dastardly and hate filled happens and we get that war games that yes. war games headline in a pay-per-view oh yeah it, that is that is big that is a major event if they can headline their first pay-per-view where crowds can come back with this as the main event i think they're really on to something mm. and you can I do it away works. from wwe too yeah sorry jp go on mm. No, I was going to say, and this works as a kind of perfect lead into that War Games mm. without kind of having to waste it. They've had this match and it's it's kind of fine. And ultimately, in the scheme of things, it is somewhat throwaway. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because, again, it's, it's about reading the room, isn't it? Mm. And it's about and it's not necessarily a finite ending to a feud or anything else. This is something you can go back to. I just kind of almost feel like the inner circle of like the faces for me during all of this because <laughs> i enjoy them so much yeah in some ways like there's there's kind of i suppose there's the lesser expectations isn't it for what they have to do but it, again you know we give chris jericho plenty of praise and he should be because the way that he's kind of setting up this faction and going absolutely all in on it it's worked mm. like considering this was like their big kind of angle from day one inner circle versus the elite Mm. They do it. They've done a great job with it. Not always. There's been ups and downs on it. Hey, if they went straight the to whole... the War Games match, JP, I would have been the first to criticise them. Like yeah. when that War Games match was announced, it was with no build, and it wasn't like the, the guys were really fuming with each other at that point. If anything, it's a blessing in disguise for the feud it that it's probably going to happen now with a bit more juice behind it. Yeah, that's true. Because I remember just being like, "Oh, I want to see this match," but. Could they have not announced this better and done a few hot angles leading into this? I actually forgot about that. But yeah, I think it's going to feel like an even bigger match as a result mm. of stuff like this. So I went 4.25 on it. Um, for me, I think like Joe, I've kind of got a, there's a bar and a ceiling because there's not enough wrestling. If there's something I'm going to take away from it in the end is ultimately it's, it's just the, the fact there's just not enough wrestling for it. But for time and place, this is like going to watch a blockbuster that turns out to be really good. It's not the greatest film you've ever seen, but fuck me, you've had a laugh. And at times, I don't know, I was, I was sort of thinking to myself, perhaps Kong Skull Island. I had no expectations. I had a bloody great laugh. And had, and they had, um, oh, who was it from Straight Out of Compton? They had the guys playing Easy E and Dr. Dre in it as well. <sighs> with a big, with a with obviously King Kong. I don't know how I'm off on this one. As well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Real time shit. Four point two five. There we like go. Kong Skull Island. <laughs> well, there you go. I think we haven't got really a consensus there, but I think it's fair to say we all enjoyed it. Uh, and yeah, there's a couple of people in the Twitch, well, somebody in the Twitch chat there saying they gave it five as well, uh, which I think is you know it's a common thing. I saw that all night last night. People giving it the full five. I think the thing about it is, yeah, I mean, I feel like four. You guys' ceiling seems a little bit lower than mine. I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to give a match that's not a match more than four and a half. But it's one of those matches, like, if you gave it one, I'm not even sure I'd argue with that much. If you just didn't enjoy it, I'd be like, you know what? It wasn't really a match, I get it. If you gave it five, it's like, well, you enjoyed it that much. It is one of those matches 
quote not even a, you know match is probably the wrong word it was one of those segments where it's hard to rate anyway so i'm not gonna argue strongly with anyone uh, no matter what what about if someone gave the money in the bank match five would you disagree with that <laughs> i think were there any fives gareth i'm not sure of the way i think i disagree with that one uh i think that would be that would be a step too far <laughs> yeah there probably were people who uh who just love that vince comedy they'd love those uh johnny ace uh, comedy spots you know it was, well uh, ultimately this is comedy and, it, and comedy's the most subjective form that's true isn't it well people and gave brain cena con- five and we all hated that like all four of us hated that and there were people who talk about that brain cena match like we just talked about that match there mm. yeah. we did but there was no wrestling in bray versus scene <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was very was much like, art house wasn't it no no wrestling shite house mate not art house <laughs> <laughs> it was the good art house cinema yeah. it was as much about wrestling as Barney's bloody Mr. <laughs> uh, Snowplow commercial is to do about actually ploughing snow. Oh, Chichi Boom, Boom, it's Mr. Plough. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, that. Exactly. Eight episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the advert, the, remember the experiment art, art House advert he does with the snow yeah. globe that goes yeah, over. I do. I do. <laughs> Again, where am I going with it? Right. Well, good segues anyway, JP, to uh, we'll talk the rest of the card. I mean, the, it was allegedly a co-main event, so let's talk the other main event now, I suppose. Uh, Moxley and Brody Lee. I was... I mean, I've got to be honest, the whole Brody Lee act, I'm just not into it. Like, I, 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 it's too Shikara for me. Like, I find, speaking of comedy, I find the segments funny, you know, where he's eating a steak and he gets angry at the other guys around him because, you know, they want to eat the food early or whatever. And he's doing the Vince McMahon bits. The us insiders are like, ah, see, AEW are getting the digs in with WWE. But as a wrestling character, I just... Guy who thinks he's Vince McMahon just doesn't work for me on a kayfabe basis. I don't understand, like, why he thinks he's Vince McMahon or why he's doing the things he's mm. doing. It just, it, it, it's very... There's an irony to it that's very Shakara to me, and maybe that shouldn't be a surprise, um, considering you know where Brody Lee's been through his career. Uh, but that aside, though, I thought it was a good match. Like I don't mind Brody Lee being challenger of the month for John Moxley. I thought he looked mm. good in the match. You know, okay, he didn't look good from a um, you know an eye test point of view because my god, that gear he was wearing. <sighs> But he looked good from a wrestling point of view. Like I thought he was a good big man in the match. I thought that you know there's some good creative spots in there. Um, I thought he did a good job of protecting him as well and making him look strong even in defeat. I thought it was a good bit of business. And I would say, while I'm probably I could imagine myself being the low man for on a match, maybe part of it's I went in with not really any expectations whatsoever and just maybe a don't know, a disconnect with this Brody Lee character going in in general that maybe I was pulled into it more by the match than, than I expected. I yeah, I think was. for me, I'm going to love anything that's anti-Vince at this point because okay. basically my stock and trade as a podcaster uh, <laughs> since the start of it this is global pandemic <laughs> and, and maybe since the start of the year has just been to bash um, <laughs> WWE brass uh, or the WWE establishment and, you know, what the, the establishment figures in the government as well to some extent, as was demonstrated earlier on. So uh, the steak stuff I found hilarious, the sneeze and stuff I thought was great. But yeah, at the same time, time i understand why it's not for everyone but also what i'll say is for me i think Brody lee is a good worker yes but i will always see him as luke harper and a guy who's got a ceiling and i liked luke harper i liked uh, like his matches when he got a chance in wwe because i do think there is an ability there in ring but 
he's someone that I wouldn't make a main eventer. And he's not someone that I'd want to see long-term in a main event position. But you know what? As a match, I thought this was one of the better matches that I've ever seen him have. I thought that there was a chemistry there. I thought they both clearly really wanted to have a good match and had worked out how to have a good match in these conditions. I really do think if this was in front of a proper crowd, this would have got over. Some of the sort of beats in the match with the way that Moxley was taking him down, some of the near falls, the way they built those near falls, I thought were genuinely good. And I was sort of imagining those genuine crowd reactions as I was watching it. The fact they played off the Taz Bam Bam spot, I thought was great as well. Oh, yeah. I think that would have got over huge if that was in front of a crowd. Mm. The little bit of blood as well sort of showed me how seriously Brody Lee was taking it. And the thing I'll say for him is it is a little bit gutting because he's come from WWE. He's wanted this big chance. He's obviously wanted to come here for a long time. Well, since AEW opened up and the opportunity was there. And since he's come, all of his appearances have been in front of no fans. <laughs> so I do feel a bit sorry for him in that regard. But I thought he did prove himself here. And for me, he's someone that will always have a place on a card. And he'll always have a good match at a card. As a kind of mid-carder, you can put in an upper mid-card position occasionally. I think he's going to be solid for the rest of his run here. And yeah, I thought this was a really good match. And I think Moxley has really sort of... I, 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 he was someone that I was never totally convinced by as a wrestler. But since he's been in AEW... I've kind of been on board of it. And this was, again, another demonstration of why I think he's really sort of picked it up as a wrestler. I find that he kind of adapts to the occasion and the situation a bit better than he used to. And I thought here with the way that they were doing a lot of hard shots, the way that they were sort of laying in strikes, the way that even lays in little moves like his choke holds, it looks really, really good. And he puts a little bit more extra torque on it when there's no fans there because I think he understands that you've got to do that for that TV audience I, I was a I was a fan of this match I went three and a half stars on it wow how about you JP a lot of echo a lot of those points this was the match when it because I'd watched the um, Nyla Rose um, Hikaru Shida match before this and I thought to myself this is the point to tap out I kind of want to be paying attention to this I really want to see how Brody Lee does I agree in terms of the limit on him, and I think that's partly kind of imposed by the fans. So what we end up having is having the memory of Luke Harper. That's the one thing that ends up sticking with you throughout this. I kind of look at the role as it's potentially a good character, but it's quite underwritten. And But he's gone in there, and he's kind of giving it the best he, he has done, and he's shown me a bit. And... He's shown me, like, on the mic, for example, stuff that we wouldn't have seen in WWE. Um, in terms of his facials, I love that setup with all of the ring crew in the middle at the beginning. It kind of gave you that little bit of an edge um, for that as well. I like that. It never, it, yeah, I really liked that. Um, it didn't lull for me. Now, obviously, one of the things, and it's not, not really a complaint, but I sort of noticed a theme throughout the night. There was the, the bits of going into the guardrails and everything else was there which they were doing. And I think some type, like, you know, they, they had done, they had that kind of going into it. But what I felt um, when watching it, the, the points there about Moxley being so good and his versatility, versatility throughout the match, talk about adding the torque on it. It's selling from underneath. It's selling from underneath. He's, he's really good. Um, Brody Lee just kind of keeping on him. And I like the fact that it wasn't big man punch kickstart. A lot of it was suplex-based, and I thought that was kind of interesting for it. Um, made use of the stuff around there. 
his role, Brody Lee, is kind of what we've said about Pack as that kind of upper mid card that you can go into the kind of smaller shows with, build to maybe a big dynamite where you're having ha- him having a world title rematch. I think the finish kind of keeps him strong mm. as well. I think there's like the genuine reason for him to come back. He didn't lose anything from that as well. Um, and if you're thinking of it sort of the night of sort of three hosses who are relatively new to the company, mm. for me, he, he definitely had the best of them. Um, and, you know, and he showed me something in the ring. And I'm interested. I'm slightly more invested. The, the Dark Order storyline, on the other hand, that's the kind of hokey stuff. But that wasn't really part of the match, and I, I liked that. Then. fact. I yeah. forgot that he was part of that because I'd not watched it in a couple uh, a couple of months. I was like, "Oh shit, them lot!" And I was fearing run-ins. Yeah, I'm assuming um, the uh, the main two, Evil Uno and the other fella. I'm assuming they're stuck in Canada. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd assume yeah. so. Him and Stu Grayson. Yeah, uh, I completely forgot that that was even a thing that he was in the Dark Order. Yeah. Exactly. But I think there's partly the situation of how many top line heels do they have that they can kind of go to stuff with. So they're kind of almost trying to rebuild for who that other big heel star is, what, outside of Jericho? I mean, because then after that, who who have you got as your big heel? Probably Pac? Yeah, you could go to, to Pac. To a certain extent. Pac's you another one, isn't he? can slot in. That's it. It's that kind of upper mid card. And I think in some ways, Jake Roberts. afterwards, <laughs> the idea oh, of them going to cage. The idea of them going to cage afterwards. I was thinking, I'd like to see Moxley pack. Mm. I'd like to see but them do Pac that. Pack can't get in the country. When's exactly. he going to be able to get over there? Yeah. But yeah. to be honest, I've got flights booked for July, and I'm hoping he can't get over there before that period because I really want a fucking refund on them flights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. So. Pack, I don't, I don't want well, Pack to come for a while. There's also another good reason, which is if they were going to do the Fighter Fest, they were going to headline with with Moxley versus Cage. I imagine you couldn't do Moxley Pack because do you want Pack being cheered if you're doing it? Uh, in the I UK? think you do it though. It's a good sell. Yeah, you, and you, you could Canadian always, Stampede. You could do other stuff with him though as well in terms of having a prominent win or another sort of prominent match. Mate, they might have gone Jimmy Avon Moxley. Oh, <laughs> Especially in London, you know, he's announcing me from Camden, London. That would have been the more likely main event. Oh, my God. Let's not. Let's not even dream from about that. From to Craven Cottage, you know, <laughs> natural progression. Oh, oh, no pun intended. Um, yeah, I went three and a half on it as well. Yeah, me too. That's, that's where I'm sat on it. And I think a lot of it was how much I enjoyed the finishing sequence, how much I enjoyed them protecting this monster, but not in a WWE way, not with a shitty finish. He lost, and you can't argue that he lost, and it was a pretty definitive win, but it was also in a way that like, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, he, he went down fighting, and, you know, it wasn't easy, you know, using using like the big one-count kick out as, as another example. They did a good job of putting him over. So, yeah, I think that was it. Maybe the I wasn't hugely into maybe the early stages, but it was that last five minutes, maybe even the last ten minutes as a whole that pulled me in. Where were you on it, Gareth? Yeah, I mean, I mean, probably just echo a lot of what you said, really. I mean, I gave it three and a half. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. I think, I think one of the things mentioned there really was just the time because it was like a quarter of an hour match, and I think that was like definitely something that was to its benefit. Like, if you know, a world world title match going fifteen minutes in this day and age, you know, it was it it, it definitely helped. You know, if if you had another ten minutes say on that match, mm-hmm. I reckon I'd have been under three kind of thing. Yeah, to be it would have been that. far too long. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think because it, it did start slow for me. Yeah. 
I mean, I'll just come back to your original point, Benno. I mean, just Brody Lee's gear. I mean, I just, I, I just can't take him seriously on the basis <laughs> of that. And I think on his gear alone, like he's not a like there's a seal in there. He's not a main eventer. Anyone who thinks that the gear that he's been wearing since he's been in AEW is like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I look good here. This yeah. is decent for my character. You clearly haven't got the the, the brain to be a, a, a top 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 name. And I think know, they I know it's there. bad because they keep changing it as well. That's the thing. They know it's bad, but they can't seem to land on anything good. Just put him in some jeans. Just go full Brody Lee. Well, I was I was literally watching it last night, thinking I cannot believe that like a sweaty stained vest and some jeans was actually a better look for him than what he's wearing now. And like, like he really does just look like some you know Brit Rest two thousand and eight or something like that. It, you know, it's, it's coming out in pleathers next week, definitely. You know, it just oh. he should have stuck with the jeans and vest. I think mm. it was a better look. He looks more of a kind of badass in it, if anything. Mm. He's trying too hard to be a wrestler. Like, there's too much text on it as well. That annoys me. Like, this cult leader, why has he got his name in the name of the cult all over himself? On his front, on his back, on his legs. It's just it's just not very, very befitting of the character. Uh, but yeah, I think a, a pretty much a consensus there. And what was the average on that on Grapple, uh, Gareth? Um, I think it's like 3.77 at the minute. So oh, it's slightly higher than all of us. But, you know, you know again... People, you know, people seem to enjoy it, and you know, fair, you know, fair enough. It was a decent, you know, solid, sort of above average match, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Different opinions, mate. You're allowed to have them. Ah, yeah, I don't know about that, JP. <laughs> is it a positive, a positive opinion, or is it a negative opinion? You've uh, there's only one of those you're allowed to have. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we will get to that. Promise, it's coming. Um, do you want to talk the Cody Rhodes match next? I feel like that's the next kind of biggest match on the card. Mm. And it's similar to that one, to be honest, isn't it? It's it's a uh, Cody and a big man, Lance Archer, this time. Um, tell you what, like AW being the land of like the midget work rate dudes that like people might have slapped on it, you know, or the midget comedy dudes people might have slapped on it a year ago. We've got some horses now. I like that. So got got some big beefy fuckers for you, JP. Um, oh I, yeah, I enjoyed this. To be honest, I think I think I'm maybe a bit above the consensus on this Cody Lance Archer match. Um, I think maybe the thing that takes most people out of this match, and I think we're all probably going to talk about it, is the it was the bullshit. Like, I, I understand yep. you've got Mike Tyson there and you've got to use him, but also the fact that you feel like you've got to use Arn Anderson, who's like three steps behind everybody at this point because he is older, you know? And that, that, that whole segment, I thought, you know, with Jake Roberts as well, was just all really laboured um, and really did drag the match down a little bit for me. But I still really enjoyed it. I still, I, I just like Cody as like underdog babyface going for the secondary belt. I've heard people compare. Apparently, people have been comparing him online to to Jeff Jarrett because he's given himself the belt. He's given himself the secondary belt. Let's oh, all be very gosh. clear. And he's the most over babyface in the company. So you know, quite happy. And it's in his prime. Yes. So if anything, he's underselling himself. So I don't. I've got no problem with him winning the belt here. I know people were were annoyed with maybe Lance Archer losing a big match this early. But again, I don't think Lance Archer looked bad for the match. I think the shenanigans, as much as I didn't enjoy them, do protect him to a point as well. Um, but overall, I enjoyed this a bit of business. I like Lance Archer. I made up to see him in AEW. I think he's got plenty to offer. He could be a challenger of the month for John Moxley at some point as well. Once you get him uh, out of this TNT stuff, and it was just it was another you know a Cody match is, is probably never going to go past four stars for me at this point. I think the Dustin Rhodes match was the closest, um, but for a Cody Rhodes match, I really enjoyed it and I was invested. And I don't think you can ask much more than that. Yeah, I found it a bit of an odd match. I enjoyed it. But I found the way it was laid out really odd because it was just like, 
beat down, beat down. Lots of big moves from Archer, but looked good. Mm. Cody sold him pretty well and bumped really nicely for him. But it was all sort of like quite one way for forever. And then there was a bit of a comeback, but it felt like there was no sort of shine for Cody at any point. But I still quite enjoyed the fact that they did this in quite a different way, if anything. So they still kind of tried to make Archer look like a bit of a badass while getting to that point. And I will say I did enjoy Cody's comeback, partly because he did a stinger splash as well. And you could tell that he was absolutely loving <laughs> doing that. Nice little tease yeah, as well, a... Joe. Oh, absolutely. He knows yeah, it was a really odd match in terms of a layout i thought it wasn't something that we would ever see in a wwe ring you'd only see this type of match i think in somewhere like an aw that aren't scared to try and go for something slightly different i think with the shenanigans i think because tyson was there tyson was a constant distraction because tyson was yawning (laughs) tyson looked a bit lost tyson at one point was cheering for cody but then wanted arn anderson to get sent to the back it looked like he was on his own fucking planet to me at different points oh yeah you know it was that was a bit that was always going to be there as a distraction and i'm not going to lie the jake roberts arn anderson stuff i really enjoy just seeing jake roberts I don't know what it is, but whenever he's anywhere, I'm going to find him entertaining. So I kind of just enjoy it because it's Jake Roberts. If it's Jake Roberts hanging around with his ex-bird and older shot on a council estate, claiming her benefit, or it's Jake Roberts in an AEW ring threatening with his snake at this stage, I'm going to enjoy it. The Jake Roberts in older shot is a thing for another time. We'll go into that (laughs) at some point, I promise, because it's a great story. But yeah, I didn't get that annoyed by it. Um... And, yeah, I didn't mind the match. I would have had Archer go over, though. I think that Cody could have beat him in a couple of months. I think they could have established it with Archer. And you could have had this big storyline with Cody overcoming the odds and built to it. And you could have kept Archer even stronger as a result of him winning. Because I thought having Archer and Brody Lee lose on the same show was a, a minor mistake. I wouldn't have had Brody Lee win the world title. But I thought that Cody wouldn't have lost anything at all and would have got something by sort of building himself up going into a rematch possibly i can see that oh yeah same here i can i can see that as well this just didn't click for me Mm. in the same way that lee moxley is um and i ended up sort of veering between 2.75 and 3 and i think i'd served on the side of 3 because there was stuff that i liked in it and there was stuff that i was engaged by but I don't know. For me, it's kind of Cody matches are a mixed bag, really, aren't they? They kind of you either kind of really enjoy them and you go along with it, like we do with the Rhodes and uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes match at the time, or they end up like the Sean Spears or even the MJF. Ah, uh, the Sean Spears match wasn't bad by any it's, means. No, it's it not that it's bad. 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 It's about engagement. It's just about engagement, and I didn't feel as engaged in this. The matches themselves, they're kind of I know what I'm getting from Cody at this point, and I'm fine with it that's that's what he is i get the idea of putting the title on him in the sense that you know you think about what new japan did with the the um intercontinental title eventually by having kind of nakamura as as a focus and obviously they've got a storyline reason for cody being there as well and it's not the world title so that kind of idea that you know putting the title on himself is fine i do fear though as much as i like him that this might end up being the ceiling for lance archer i don't know that's kind of what i ended up coming away with um and i didn't really want to see that like i said elements of it i liked like the camera spot i thought was was very good and i thought that was fun his reacting to the camera was good but then 
I just kind of felt things drag for me. It could be the fact as well that, you know, of, of being quite tired because at this stage, what it would have been sort of quarter past two in the morning in generally. So yeah, I went three stars on it, which seems to be the solid Cody bet. Um, not bad or anything else like that, but if I was, if I was picking out highlights, this isn't in my top three. So I think you'd be an arse on Cody. I think yeah. that, I think that he can be a great big match wrestler. And I think when you build a match that's got a lot of emotion involved against an opponent that's at the same level of ability or is better than him, he will have a great match again. The MJF match, I just think, was the wrong night. They read the crowd wrong. And MJF isn't, is, isn't as good a wrestler as Cody. But no, I think that, I think that he's, he can produce better. And I think we're going to get big matches for this belt down the line because I think he's going to make it credible. Yeah. I, I think it, it's... Yeah, it's not that it's 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 not that it's bad. Mm. It's it's just in terms of, I suppose the natural comparison for this felt like the Moxley Brodie Lee, and by of the two, the one that sticks with me and the and, and the things that I kind of will really take away with it is going to be Moxley Brodie Lee, and that belt, Jesus, it's awful. It <laughs> looks fucking. We do need to talk terrible. The belt. <laughs> belt should be gold. I'm re- I'm sorry about that. Belt should be gold. Is this your line of the sound, JP? Oh. It kind of is. I didn't think it was, but I saw that and I was like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. I mean, it's, uh, Co- it's Cody, isn't it, trying to go back to his NWA TV title. Yeah, I like and, that. You know, yeah. trying to, that, that, that was a good belt, but this one, like, fucking hell. I, like, I, like, it, 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 like, just totally, too, as soon as I saw that belt, I, th- I think it had an impact. It just took me out of the match. Like, I, I, I don't think I could, I don't think I could, like, buy into it. And I, I was saying I was doing a uh, wire rewatch and, like, I thought old D'Angelo Barksdale was going to have the worst belt-related thing that I watched this week. But then, oh! Uh, suddenly, uh, suddenly, uh, what a line. Suddenly, suddenly they pulled this one out, and I was just like, <laughs> apparently, it's not, apparently it's not finished, though. Apparently, because of COVID, there's still like more work that needs to be done on the belts to, to improve it. And I was like, well, why fucking... Like, why book it for this date? Or why put that belt on display today? Yeah. Why not do it as, like, we're going to yeah. do a in two weeks' time or something, use it for an angle? Because, oh, God, it was the shit. It absolutely, oh, it totally took me out of it, that belt. So yeah. they went, let's do a tournament. Yeah, we're going to do it for a second time. Brilliant. You got the logo from the company. Yeah, oh, it looks really good. What about the belt? Let's not worry too much about the belt. <laughs> we should have a belt if we're doing a tournament. No, mate, you don't need to worry oh, about it too much. We're in a pandemic, Go on a night, like, come on. This is the fucking belt. Ah. Uh, as well, it might have just been me, but on that belt red background are out of as well. They've all been furloughed, the belt makers. That's what it is. <laughs> Get one if, on the, if only cash, the furloughs in America, they, they're crying out for it, mate. Seriously. Oh, I know, yeah, it's, it's bad. Look at David Starr. It's just straight unemployment, isn't it? Yeah, David Starr this week was saying he left England because he couldn't... Um, Get get on basically get on the dole over here or get on job seekers or get anything. So he decided to go back yep. to America and he got declined there as well. And it was just like, wow, that's how bad the system is. But and the kind of and the kind of jobs that are going are jobs that are probably going to be at high risk. Yeah, exactly. You're talking about yeah, factories yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Could he get a job in AEW? Uh, I would enjoy that. I'd be happy with that. He could be in this TNT tournament. Um, yeah. I mean, I was going to drive Pennsylvania to Florida. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, he might not want to do it. Um, but just back on the belt, I'm going to defend silver belts because I'm a big fan of the proper ROH belt, the original belt. So it can be done. It just 
was not done mm-hmm. here. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a match, to be honest, I gave it three on the night. I rewatched the entire show today and I liked it more on second watch. I went 3.25. Um, so I didn't think it was much away from the, the Moxley Brody Lee match. What did you give it, Gareth? What's the, what's the grapple average on this one? Yeah, I went three. I was like JP. I was sort of teetering between the two point seven five to three. It's okay. it's round about a three average on, on on the app. I mean, I think my big takeaway was just that point raising really before was sort of like where now for Archer and, and Brody Lee, given that they've both sort of debuted on TV when there's been no crowds there. We've now got through to a point where they've both had big matches that they've lost clean in the like, and he's sort of two big monsters here who they've you know. Really, they've sort of like shot the load with really quite quickly, really there. And I feel like there was definitely like more mileage and carrying one of those out. I thought Archer should definitely have won that last night. So at least, you know, at least you had one of them like having carrying a bit more threat and menace kind of thing going mm. going forward. Whereas they both look like they've had the the balls cut off a bit really to to, to this point to me. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think with Brody Lee, he did a good job of kind of making him look strong in defeat and he wasn't pinned. So you can play off of that. And I think they should have had Archer win here because it was so easy to build the Cody rematch. Think one thing I've realised as well, and it might be a problem not for being you, Benno, but for Gareth and JP. It's like blokes in their early 40s really care about belts. <laughs> I don't know if you two were really into like your belt buckles when you were going clubbing back wow. in the day and stuff. <laughs> with your kickers on and your baggy bright orange Ben Sherman shirts. <laughs> And all the rest of it. <laughs> to be fair, I had one of them. No, no. <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that younger than these two. <laughs> no. no. Fucking belt love. <laughs> Weird kickers. Well, I don't think I had a pair of kickers. I had a pair of kickers. And I, did, I had the kickers. Yeah, I yeah. certainly didn't have a bright orange... Uh, a Ben Sherman shirt. I, I had a few friends with like Harley Davidson belt, bu- belt buckles or Marlboro belt buckles and things like <laughs> oh. that, you know. <laughs> oh my God. And I, I never took that step myself. £100 JP for the belt buckle. Cool in North London. <laughs> £100 for the belt, just... £20 for the jeans, yeah. And I had mates like that. <laughs> what was that, JP? Yeah, we... Oh no, just just the part of London I grew up in, I used to carry my knife where the belt buckle was. That's the that's how we rolled in Wood Green and Tottenham. Did you actually carry a knife? <laughs> no, I didn't fucking carry a knife. For God's sake. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus. Was we'll we'll JP a hoodie? Mate. Did he need a hug? I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I went 3.25 at this match. Fair I did enough. at one point consider going almost three and a half. But yeah, me too. Yeah. There are a couple of things that I thought took away from the overall match. And I think I think they've actually got a better match in them at some point. Mm, yeah. I wonder, like I say, the result is a bit of an eye raiser. I, I don't mind in isolation Lance Archer and Brody Lee losing those matches. Maybe both of them on the same show is too much, is maybe where I agree. Mm. Uh, I wonder, have they got something planned with Cody with this belt? Are they moving Lance up, maybe? It's hard to do now at this point, but have they got other plans with him? Definitely not the booking decision I expected, but again, you know, I, I don't mind building this TNT belt around Cody Rhodes, but yeah, to your point, Joe, I suppose you could have done it with uh, with him as the challenger. Um, but anyway, let's say, uh, my God, this is a stack card, isn't it? There's t- t- too many matches, too many hours in, in this show uh, to get to. I don't know, where do you guys want to go next? What's the, uh, what, what do you want to chat about? What, what, do, you, what do you feel strongly about uh, on the rest of this card? Mm-hmm. Nyla Rose Hikaru Shida. Mm. I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought. I'm not saying it was the greatest match in the world, mm. but in some ways, and it might have been the way that you book an AEW women's division, Benno. Probably, yeah, <laughs> I was literally going to go and get a beer then. I'm, I'm staying now I so, thought, that, you, so I, that you don't I, disrespect. I was thinking, if he'd put this <laughs> Could you see me about to leave? <laughs> 
Oh yeah. I enjoyed, no, oh, honestly, yeah. I did like it. I, it was better than my expectations too. Not that my expectations were particularly low, but you know they weren't really high either. It's just I think of where Nyla Rose is now compared to where she started. Even the ring gear, the ring gear looks good. The entrance looks good now. She's got real presence. Her promo is a lot better, and I think it's slightly underrated on her promo ability, considering that she's very young within working within wrestling. I was looking; she she was star of a, like a Canadian sitcom mm. uh, or something like that, which I didn't know today. Um, called The Switch, but I actually think she's really grown over this last year. She's not like an unbeatable monster. She's a monster who's still developing, but is very is a really good hand and has kind of fitted well within the division. And I think you can come back to her. And every time there's the realization of she's getting better, she's getting better. Um, I, in terms of Hikaru Shida, I, I thought this was the best stuff that was there. And it's partly because she just seemed so focused and kind of on it, which I imagine given the Hannah Kimura news as well, that possibly would have played a part in necessarily in her performance. And at the end of the match, she looked really emotional mm. and was still trying to hold it together. You could see stuff was going through on there. Mm. I like bits of it enjoyed. It was clear they went to the outside, had the no DQ stuff to kind of protect Nyla. That's good booking. I don't have an issue necessarily with that. Sorry to labor the point, but there was fair bits of stuff sort of throughout the night as well. Mm. Um, I thought the cane shots, the head was good. That was leading up to the finish. Um, that avalanche falcon arrow that she did from the top turnbuckle. So it kind of had those kind of big moments for me. And again, it was possibly in my case that I didn't expect too much from it. And I found myself enjoying it, which has been the case with these kind of bigger Nyla Rose matches from time to time. They're not always good. Like the Chris Statlander match was was bad. Mm. But you put her in there with someone who is good, like there was there with Rio. And you're going to get something out of her. And I still think that move where she jumps off the top and she was selling her back because that's what the Karashida was working on as well. I think that's really good. I, also, one other point on it. I think it's a bit of a shame that Britt Baker isn't around because that obviously would have been the next kind of feud that would have been there as well. Yeah. Although I like the fact that Britt Baker is going to be a character on TV because I, I think there's a lot of mileage in being in using her. Um so yeah, I went in the end. I went three and a half on this. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it more than more than I thought I would do. And yeah, it just it was like a really good bump for the women's division. I was I was really happy about that. Yeah, yeah, but definitely a bit of a hidden gem on this card. That it was getting late in the night as well, and it was just a bit like uh, I, I, I was not that I was dreading it, but you know, I wasn't expecting this to to pass three stars in any way. And yeah, I'd happily give it three and a half. Uh, anyone else go go higher or lower? Anyone else got any strong feelings on this match? I, I loved it. Like I, I I really really enjoyed it. And like I'm just thinking there about the last two matches. Like I went three point seven five on this. Like I, oh. I thought it was. I just thought the the way it was laid out was absolutely fantastic i thought with the, the no dq they didn't lean on it too much there was a nice mix there so when there was big big spots with um with like mm-hmm. the kendo sticks and things like that it looked like it really mattered it made it a bit more impactful and things like that um i just think she has just got 
she's just got an it factor about her. There's just like there's just a natural charisma there or something like that. I think mm-hmm. she's she's good like uh, uh, in terms of like match quality. I th- like I genuinely think she's been one of the the highlights for me, be, like surprise highlights for me probably over the last six nine months really with the with what we've we've seen in in AEW. And I think with having a belt on her, obviously they can go back to stuff with Nyla Rose. But then I think it just opens the door to have a lot of even better matches with some of the, the other women that, mm-hmm. that they've had there and they've used. So. You know, I thought obviously, like again, I don't know from a contract point of view, but I think her and B Priestley can do some really good stuff. Jamie Ater, when she was on like a while ago, did you know did some really good stuff there as well. I think there's there's a there's a lot more sort of like wrestling focus that can that can come on. And then Nyla Rose, just to echo your points, uh, JP, I just think she has just developed so much over the course of this last twelve months. And I think similar to similar to a point I've made here about Chris Statlander, I think they're getting the chance to like work on TV and develop and grow. Whereas if they were with WWE, they'd be in NXT and they probably wouldn't even see TV for two years. They'd be, you know, doing hip tosses in a gym or something like that. Whereas <laughs> these are getting, these are getting to like accelerate, you know, really progress like on mm. TV, learn from the mistakes, get better and better in front of the eyes of everyone. And I think the result last night was, was spot on. It was like the second, second best match of the night for me. I loved it. Fair enough. Uh, any strong feelings on this one, Joe, or uh, at a, should we go somewhere else in the undercard? Did you skip this one? No, I watched it. It was fine. Three stars. These guys enjoyed it more. Let's go on. Go on then. Uh, what, what would you like to talk about next, Joe? What, what do you feel strongly about on this undercard? How about that uh, that MJF uh, MJF match? MJF Jungle Boy. That was one. best MJF match I've ever seen. Hey, right spot for him, isn't it? Like how many times have you know we were saying about that Cody match? Like I'm high. I'm definitely higher on him than you. But even I was like, uh, this might be too much too soon. This is the MJF. This is why I like MJF. I'm not expecting five star classics. I'm expecting a match that's different than the rest of the card, and it gives you something different than the rest of the card. And I've got no problem with it. That that you know, in that first you know one to maybe even four matches, I think that's the spot for MJF in these types of matches right now. You know, we can get to maybe they they are gonna still go with like the heavy push with MJF, but I liked him in the spot as the the dickhead heel with a great underdog babyface. Yeah, I was uh, I was really high on that one as well. Yeah, best two MJF matches I've seen a bit against Jungle Boy. They have one on um, Dynamite at some point that I oh, really yeah, like yeah. as well. Um, yeah, and it, I think they bring the best out of each other, to be honest. I think Jungle Boy's a lot of fun as well. I thought, as a match, it reminded me of one of those sort of matches between two guys who are mid-carders, but you can see them being main eventers three yeah. years down the line. You can see this match growing and being sort of wrestled in a different context at a different spot on the card down the line at some of a point and that kind of encourages you to get into the match if anything and sort of benefits the match yeah i thought it was really good fun i thought the mjf hill stuff worked with the kind of pure jungle boy baby face act as well i really like those that were sort of making up a crowd and how they were kind of getting into this and what they were doing in the crowd as well because that noise really sort of kept me into the match as well no i thought this was a really fun match um and uh, one point i was like ah oh, i'm really bothered about this match but it was on last night when i was watching this live and you know i'm really glad that i did stick with it and give mjf a go because i was really down him after that cody match yeah i i a lot of sentiments for that as well it was when you talk about the sort of career rivals i feel the same way also about darby allen versus sammy guevara in many ways that like in some ways those are your four if you're kind of like thinking long-term into the future, it makes sense that those are the four there and keeping in with jungle boy, 
it works. Jungle Boy loses nothing in defeat. MJF comes back with kind of a good match and a little bit more momentum in there as well. And we were all fearing too much too soon. Like at this point in the card, like you're not, you don't have the higher expectations. And like you guys, I kind of went in there with some, some um, low, uh, low expectations for this and all the better for it. Um, it wasn't necessarily like, like I say, it was different to everything else. That's what, that's what Benno said earlier on. Um, but their combined ages are 46. And that's pretty incredible. 22 and 24. Pretty and depressing. I think it is depressing. <laughs> but if you think where wrestlers enter their peak in wrestling, it tends to be about the time that they're kind of turning 30. So there is a long way to go with this. And I think... Like this is something I want to see them going back to, like Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen. It's it's like they've got some really good chemistry, and if you're wanting to get MJF over and you're wanting to get Jungle Boy over, going back to this feud, not obviously overdoing it, but every once in a while, that works for me. Yeah, again, to, I would totally echo what you're saying there, especially thinking that about those four. I think one of the things that stood out for me that was that was good about this match was just MJF just being a proper heel. Like last time when I was yeah. on with you guys from that Money in the Bank show, like people had been positively rating that Seth Rollins-Drew uh, McIntyre match and I went off on a bit of a rant about Seth not wrestling like a heel kind of thing. And like to me, this was just classic. There is absolutely no doubt in your mind which wrestler you're supposed to want to win. Oh, yeah. And that is... That is it's core essence, you know, good guy against bad guy kind of thing, you know, and nobody, you know, MJF works like I'm a kid again and I'm watching Ted DiBiase or something like that. It's just a proper heel doing horrible stuff, saying horrible things, looking arrogant, et cetera, et cetera. And just like that really helps get you behind Jungle Boy and it just helps kind of boost Jungle Boy as well. So he looks better when he's doing his comebacks and things like that as well. And yeah, it was a, you know, really good, 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 ma- good match. Look forward to these two having, having plenty more in the future. Definitely. I was going to say, JR kept on bringing up the point of that was a great professional wrestling match. And that kind of was what a professional wrestling match and its kind of simplest form is, isn't it? And you mm. say about the heel face dynamic, it's refreshing to watch that. Mm. In some ways, that's the thing about, I find about watching Jungle Boy is like the natural cynic and snark in me kind of wants to look at this guy and try and find reasons to dislike him. I know that sounds incredibly horrible. Sometimes you do that, but he's, he comes across so well. It's just a lovely and he lad. Is clearly, he's a lovely lad who's clearly really talented mm. and seems to have a head on his shoulders. And it's just kind of like, well, what's not to support there? Mm. What's not to kind of get behind? Mm. This doesn't feel like a pretty guy with a famous, with a famous last name being kind of pushed based on that. This and the way they're doing it with that kind of slow and steady, just to get that organic crowd support as well, that's what you do. I mean, and again, it's it's good, straightforward, simple booking. Definitely. And, and you you mentioned Jim Roth there, and like you'd mentioned him previously, and I thought this was like one of the matches where he came across mm. definitely more positively. And I think one of the things that's really helped with with Ross over the last twelve months is he's sort of been able to grow with the product because he's understanding the the journey that these wrestlers are are on. He knows who these younger ones are and where they want them to go, and he's understanding the story a bit more um, that, that that's gone before. Whereas I think. 
post WWE when we've seen him. He's been thrown into things like New Japan where he's had to suddenly pick up 10 years of history and be able to know it all on the fly and things. So obviously people are nitpicking and you can tell he sort of didn't have the same confidence in himself. And likewise, other things where he's filled in and he's done bits. Was he on World of Sport and was he on, you know, I think, was he on um, What Cultures shows and yeah. things like oh, that. Yeah. Things. Whereas I feel like now he's had the chance to kind of get his legs under him. He's got. He's had a full year knowing the, knowing the characters, knowing the stories. And I think he's definitely, um, I think when we pick out those four that we're, we're saying they're the future of the company, I think he's, when you hear him talk about those guys, I think he's really kind of helped help build them up and sort of make you take them credibly and seriously. Mm. There's definitely times where like the big talking point is, isn't it? That like, you know, oh, how great is Excalibur because he fills in the gaps where JR misses. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of of the opinion, well, if he's filling in all those gaps, maybe... Excalibur should just be doing JR's job. But I see what you there is a gravitas, isn't there, to JR endorsing these young lads and putting them over in the way that he's putting them over that maybe you get something out of. So, yeah, that is one of maybe the, the big uses of JR. Um, but, yeah, as a match, you've all said they're pretty much exactly the way I would, really. I, the best of MJF, Jungle Boy Greatest and Underdog. I gave it 3.75 on Grapple. Don't know if that makes me the higher man. I think I'm dead on the average, Gareth. That's a 3.75 average as well with that with that match. Um, yeah, pe- for me, perfect for the type of match it is. There's a ceiling for that type of match, but I, I don't think either of them particularly put a foot, lo- put, foot wrong in there. So, yeah, I was uh, I was very high on that one. It's what you want out of that sort of mid-card match between yeah. those two sort mm. of guys. It was kind of that perfect, uh, sort of mid-card match between two younger guys. I went three and a half on it, but yeah, I can see why people would go higher. Mm. Same, three and a half. Same. Ma- makes sense how people though would would really be going higher than the- on this. No worries. There you are, grapple people. I'm with you. These these guys, uh, yeah, unbelievable. 0.25 stars last. Uh, <laughs> nah, I'm not going to argue about two point two five stars. Um, yeah. Um, so that was a fun one. Um, I don't know. Do you want to talk the ladder match? <laughs> The, the, the Jimmy Havoc oh, experience. Uh, this was like fine, but it was <laughs> too like long. There, and it was too long, and I was like, what are these rules? And like, why would you agree to be in a match that could end before you enter it? Like, this doesn't make any sense from what like I can gather. And This was, was very there. TNA. That, our TNA is that. That's the type of thing TNA would do. It would be like, what are we yeah. going to do? Um reverse battle earl no ladder match where you put the thing at the top of the ladder rather than take it like it's overthinking like okay what can we do to make ourselves different from wwe this is the negative of that i think this type of match yeah it was it was a bit silly but it was entertaining i suppose as an opener yeah i had a good time watching it like i i feel like jimmy havoc was an anchor writing the whole thing down i couldn't get over him in his get up um you know i was very vocal on twitter to a fault about how i thought he was a weak spot in the match how kip sabian was just a dude in the match um member kip sabian oh, apparently he's an right I think he's just fine. a guy that's the thing though he's yeah, just a guy AEW need guys and he yeah. can be just a guy like nah, and he's know. young and he's not as good as some of the other guys there, but he is young, and you know it's a different uh, person. I, like, I, I think s- he's fine. 
I see the upside in Sabian. It's harder to see the upside. It's hard to see the upside in. Havoc. <laughs> is there an upside in Havoc? I don't think it exists. Um, I don't know. I'll defer to you guys on Sabian. I don't see the upside, but I can see why people might. Look, unless you've got something positive to say about a British wrestler, <laughs> just shut up. Sorry, mate. I apologise. Just, just stop talking. <laughs> I, I, I've been in a ring, though, Joe. I'm not allowed. No. Okay. Fine. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but those guys aside, no, it was fine. Like Darby Allen was great. Darby Allen doing that ridiculous spot with the um with the skateboard was fucking he's just insane that lad i love him like he comes out he cut he feels like a star like he i i, I cheer for darby allen like i do not many wrestlers these days he comes out and i feel like i'm on your team darby i want you to win this thing uh, i thought he was great in the match i like brian cage as the surprise entrance i think brian cage could offer something i think he he's kind of mm. short for a big guy and he's very indie in the way he works, but I think with the right guidance and putting the right positions, I think there's things you can do with Brian Cage. I mean, you've seen, you know, seen it to an extent uh, in Impact that are in other places as well. I think there's maybe a not a lot of money on the table with Brian Cage, but there's a there's a bit of money there. Uh, I thought he was uh, see he, he filled his role well, and they did a good job of keeping him strong too. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was fun. Like I. I couldn't go lower than three for me because I enjoyed it. Uh, I think once I start going below three, it's like I'm picking. There's definitely bits, bits I didn't like about the match, mainly, you know, James Havoc. But, you know, three stars for me. It was a solid, solid way to, to start the show for me. Just a, just a, I don't mind a, a good uh, car crash match to, uh, to kick us off. I think I'm at the point in my life where multi-man ladder matches are just things like where I just go, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, here we go again. Because I kind of know what I'm getting from it. Um, I went two and a half, but I and I partly was I found myself noting a lot of the incidental stuff. Vicky Guerrero at ringside, and I thought that's a good shout for bringing someone like Vicky Guerrero in. If you're looking for people to bring up crowd noise, because you're thinking if she really lets loose, she can start to bring some real energy into into the stadium, maybe. But I don't think I really heard it all night. I noticed Andy Williams was wearing a David Bowie T-shirt. Um, what he wasn't do- they weren't doing that clockwork orange thing. And then I thought, if I'm noticing stuff like that, there might well be a problem with how much I'm engaged in the actual match for it as well. Um, like silly things like Janela at one point, I think after Cage comes in, you can just hear him shout really loudly, loudly fucking motherfucker, which <laughs> got, a, got a childish laugh out of me. But yeah, I thought it was okay too long. For what it was, I think in the end this went. This seemed to go like thirty-five minutes or yeah, something. Yeah, it went a while. It didn't need to be anywhere. Near. No, like I thought when Cage came in and they kind of buried him, I thought, oh, they're doing that spot on someone. Darby Allen's going to get it, and they're going to build maybe to Cage against Allen as a kind of build-up for Allen to get a match. But that whole spot seemed to go on for a very long time. Then mm. as well- he. Bu- as he burst up as well. And there's good moments in it because the, as with these kind of matches, two guys go in, they get their shit in and then they end up out of the ring. And then two more guys come in and get their shit in and they do something with a ladder. I'm so numb to ladders. I, I, I'm after, please, can we just have a moratorium on ladders? <laughs> six months, six months. I think that's reasonable. <laughs> Until the pandemic is, uh, you know, <laughs> Well, when's it going to be over? But until I don't know. Let's say when we've got uh, when we've got a vaccine, we'll bring the ladders back. Might be a fucking while there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm all right I'm, with that. I'm with you, JP. Uh, yeah, I can still enjoy a ladder match, but I don't know. Like 
it was fine. I like Benno. It was entertaining. I went three stars on it. Mm. Um, I was a bit like, what, what, Taz and Brian Cage? Is that something? That... That's very TNA. Taz is a manager. Remember when they put up with oh, Joe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That didn't like, work Taz to be fair. Taz has been a good commentator when they put him on in uh, AEW, I think. Like, mm. I've quite enjoyed what he's done, and he works hard. And him and Excalibur had chemistry. I don't know if making him a manager is the right way to go with him. Mm. Oh, I would say about is it, I agree with you. Him on commentary, he's found a kind of different niche to Excalibur. So whereas Excalibur is really knowledgeable and is able to go into lots of stuff, Taz has been doing kind of very much the technicality of the moves and the kind of grip and the height. And they've had these little inserts in recent episodes of Dynamite. And you're thinking that's really good. And now he's a manager. And you're thinking, so how's this going to work when he's doing commentary? Is he just going to go into sort of Taz mode or anything else? I suppose kind Bobby of, Heenan did it. I yeah. don't really necessarily want to see him involved as a manager. Him just say, look, Derby, this guy does this. This is why I've brought him in. And and have it that way. And almost have him step out of it and go into commentary. Mm. But, yeah. Oh, well. So, yeah. Gentlemen's three of a ladder match for me. But like you said, JV, maybe when people are killing themselves with ladders, maybe that's not the uh, the, the best attitude. Is it worth it, I suppose, at the end of the day? That Darby yeah. Allen spot at the end looked horrible. Yeah, it was. Like someone, uh, just Chris just mentioned in the chat, it did look like he fucked his leg on that. Um, yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't pretty. Um, but, yeah, mm. fine as an opener. Uh, I don't know, Garrett, any strong feelings on that or maybe the other two matches on the card? We've got to, really, it's the dregs now we're getting into. Uh, yeah, not yeah. A, no, I can't imagine any of us I mean, got hot think... takes on Penelope Ford and Chris Statlander or, or Dustin Rhodes and Sean Spears, but maybe you'll surprise me. No, like, you know, I think enough's been said about that ladder match. The only thing coming out of that for me was, again, when we were on here last time, we were talking about the tears that were felt like they were getting put in place with AEW, and I think now... Uh, with Cage winning it, I was a bit like, oh, so he's getting the, the title shot against Moxley like now coming out of this. So he's been sort of shotgunned right to the top as soon as he's come in. You had Brody Lee come in and just beat five jobbers basically for five weeks and he got a world title shot. And I'm thinking, oh, hang about, this is getting a bit iffy now that you've just got these random big man comes in and just gets a title shot off the off, off, off the start, you know. sort of. It's like a territory it's, style booking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, if 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 they're kind of in short term done and they rotate them through or something like that, fine. If that's a booking approach they're going for, but I don't know. I I still prefer to see someone someone build through the the card. But to be honest, when this match was on, this was when I was like prepping my data for the night and things like that. <laughs> that's so a cheap point. And I, and I was like, ah, you give me a reason to not look at Excel kind of thing, and they didn't give me too many reasons apart from the old spots. But uh, in terms of the other matches. Again, I don't think there's anything too much there. I think the only thing standing out there was obviously um, Sean Spears' pants with Tully Blanchard's face on the front of them, which was the uh, which was the uh, bizarrest uh, thing of the night. I don't know what the hell yeah. was going on. I don't think there's anything other than that that was particularly noteworthy about that one. Sean Spears shouldn't be in this spot. Like, Sean Spears shouldn't be on pay-per-view for a company as big as AEW. He's just... I don't think he's got anything to offer. As a job guy on TV, maybe. Like, that's it for me. Like, getting this angle with Dustin Rhodes and the, the laboured, oh, is Dustin here, is he not? All that stuff. Like, I just... Give that to a heel with more upside for me. Also, why is Brandy Rhodes his manager? Like, I was just imagining, like, my... Uh sister-in-law as my manager <laughs> so I was like fuck that like, she's alright yeah I was going to say on the big man point you remember they did exactly the same thing to Jeff Cobb as well didn't they mm. when they brought him in and they he'll just be had back him. yeah oh he will be back for this 
in terms of Sean Spears, the best role of his career was working with younger talent in, in NXT, and he should be on dark working with younger talent. Hmm. That's kind of the role that he should be at. I think he Rose, was, wasn't he? Previously, like, yeah, think, it might just be the situation has said they just need this body as somebody's he? Avail- hmm. he's available and he has some kind of recognizability, so they go along with that as well. Hmm. I, I don't know. Um, in terms of Dustin Rhodes, you see him in there, and for the two minutes or so that there was any kind of a match, I think I went one and a quarter on this. You see okay. how kind of smart he is. I love, I love his power slam. I, I never get bored of seeing a Dustin Rhodes power slam. You know, he just brings. He's so crisp in there, and Sean Spears kind of knows how to work a bump for a style like that, like the back of his hand. Mm. So for those two minutes, it was like. It was like, oh, there's this, but there's all the silly stuff with him showing his ass, And I'm like, oh, for fuck's Can sake. Can I be honest? When they announced him from Austin, Texas, my first thought was, that's where The Undertaker lives. Wonder if they're mates. Probably not. Undertaker's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just to go back to last week's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, ter- in terms of Penelope Ford, Chris Statlander, Statlander's better than Ford. Ford can do a couple of acrobatic general things, but between any of that, there's it's it's very very green and not not very good, and certainly nowhere near ready for pay per view. You cut these two matches off. How much? Cut all of this two stuff off. How much time do you save? Yeah, possibly half an hour. That would have been lovely, and we would have been talking. Do you know what? The worst match on the show would have been the Casino Battle Royale thing, and that would have. Been I skipped them both, and it was you know all the better for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you missed nothing. Make 2.25 and 1.25 on the ratings for those matches. You can probably guess which way around that was. Um, the women's match, the high point there, JP, just in case you're thinking, thinking otherwise. Uh, but yeah, they're the skippable matches on this show. Um, but yeah, uh, unless anyone... you were seething, it wasn't second, mate. <laughs> hey, I've been trying my best not to do that on my TW game. Um, but anyway, yeah, as far as like a, a show overall, I, I enjoyed it a lot. It, it ran long. As a analysis of it, maybe as a bit as well, because there was a lot of it. Uh, is kind of the point really there. Uh, maybe too much of it. Could have chopped those two matches, but all in all, I had a great time. In hindsight, I feel guilty, but there's part of me that's glad the show happened as a big event to kind of have to look forward to and to talk about here with you guys. I've still got the normal moral objections, but you know we've obviously hammered those points home the last few weeks. People know how we feel about that. But all in all, I thought it was a worthwhile endeavour. And like we said at the top, definitely the best for me of these pandemic shows so far. couple of really small points very quickly. I don't know if you noticed there was like in the crowd, there was like a what seemed like a big group of people who I'm assuming were even people who work for the Jacksonville Jaguars or the the arenas and a kind of staff and that, and they've got a kind of all hands on deck and they provide part of the crowd. But they all looked like they were quite bunched in together. And I was like, you're not short of seats here. People can spread out. Is there an issue with that? You've got entire sections you can have to yourself here. Um, and the other thing was Excalibur and the Hannah Kimura tribute. I thought that was really nice and incredibly heartfelt. You could tell he was kind of breaking down on it as well. And at that point, they kind of became very real. And you mentioned about the uncomfortable part of it. That's going to stick with me throughout all of this period of wrestling or feeling generally uncomfortable. But um, they mentioned the testing. They mentioned everyone's testing. There's this whole idea they're trying to reassure you mm. that, look, we're doing as much as we possibly can for it. Which considering, and I honestly don't know how it's not a bigger story, if WWE aren't testing their wrestlers, John 
step out of the shadows again, mate. It's your time to shine again. Start start dealing out what's going on and why people aren't being tested. Who's John? Oh, the guy in <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sammy Zane, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, John. The uh, the anonymous John. Yeah, maybe you could, maybe there's a John equivalent. He's a good fella, John. I like John. <laughs> we do. Um, I mean, I suppose you you touched on it there, JP. I mean, we've got to talk about it. Like the biggest news story coming out of this weekend that kind of, I don't know, maybe there was a real dark cloud yesterday um, around the show, just around wrestling in general because of this story. And, mm-hmm. you know, if people want the... And I think, you know, you, JP, you've been doing a lot of reading up on this story, the uh, the Hanukkah story. Uh, people want, like, the, the full lowdown on that. Like, absolutely listen to Post Wrestling's review of the uh, the EW pay-per-view from last night, uh, from Saturday night, uh, where WH Park jumped on for the first half hour and gave, you know, a lot of context um, to that story. Some context we, we'll maybe mention here as well, uh, but it's absolutely worth, uh, worth reading, but... Yeah, what a fucking horrible, horrible thing to to kind of follow along as it as it happened, uh, and it was as it happened. You know, there was she she put tweets on Twitter of of, of a self self harming that got pulled down, and then for me, I went to bed, got up, and then yeah, saw her on Twitter that she had actually died. Um, awful, awful story. A um, lot of questions to be asked about. You know, I think the the immediate place people are going to is social media, and you know, obviously. You know, the, there was a gang of people going after her on social media. She's in a she's in a position, and you know maybe you can have more calls to this JP than anyone. But she's in a mm. position as like a one of these idols, you know, that we talked about when we did the uh, the podcast about stardom um, and the and the wrestlers documentary. Um, mm. In a real high pressure situation, she's also on Terrace House. The the it's kind of like the let's say the Japanese Big Brother to to, to, to simplify it. And there was a bit of a controversy with that, you know, to do with what did she do? Did she slap someone's hat off? That's the story isn't it like some dude yeah. on the show and some fans took exception to it and were all over her and were were harassing her like this was targeted harassment and you know i don't throw the word around but bullying you know this was i'm more serious than that this was like a targeted like on a young what was she 22 year old girl 22 um, relentless and obviously the pressure of all that and the pressure of you know, her, her position uh, in wrestling in Japan as well. Like, if people don't know who she is, like, she was one of the the, the girls that was on the um, the pre-show, wasn't she, for Wrestle Kingdom as the the, like, the start yep. of a match this year. And I know she's done some stuff with ROH as well. But yeah, just all in all, an absolutely tragic case there, JP, and just uh, a complex one as well. Uh, maybe not always as simple as the headlines would uh, would have you believe. Yeah, it it's the worst story. It's absolutely horrific because of it, it's so utterly needless. 22, no age at all. A um, lot of sort of reports from people who she was kind of part of her role, I think, for stardom was she used to welcome a lot of the gaijin mm. who were coming over. So a lot of the gaijin obviously feel very close to her as, uh, as well as kind of someone who's helping you kind of get about if you're going to be in Tokyo for an extended period of time. Um, as a story this one uh, and it's it's absolutely horrific and again uh you know wh park goes into uh, some of the the details when he's when he's read into it um ultimately this is kind of a story really about the kind of impact of reality tv than it is wrestling i think wrestling within this it, it's it's not it's part it's of the story fan- but it's not the whole story it's part of the story because it's part of what she did but the actual online abuse isn't as a result of wrestling. It's as a result of Terrace House. 
and this scenario which seems you see it and you think somebody that this led to somebody dying that is the worst thing on earth um and it's and i think it started to come up now because even though the episode has been available for six months on netflix netflix only just been shown um domestically on tv um in japan as well and basically what happened was there was the guy she was sharing the house with um and it's kind of like big brother but a slightly classier a classier version Mm. so they have their lives and everything else her ring gear was in the wash and got ruined by this guy who seemed really sort of absent-minded didn't give a shit and i think he was incredibly popular she'd slapped a hat off i think there were some fans in inverted commas who had wanted um her to go out with this character then there's there's other stuff about saying that people hated her because they loved him so much all that kind of stuff which is so ridiculous and look at the situations led to a 22 year old killing themselves mm. and it's a massive problem joe has said many things about love island the first thing that came to mind was love island when have i said them on this. here uh, I think I you have know. said them on here about how absolutely vile. I said them at work, and I've said them to students who fucking tear that shit up and love it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm someone who despises this form of reality television. When I kick off on reality TV, and I still on Towie and Made in Chelsea or the rest of it, people are like, oh, but you like you like EastEnders. I'm like. Yeah, because soap opera, as cheesy as it is and as hokey as it is, especially in this day and age, has always been a platform to kind of explore different issues that are in the public domain and to to shed light on them. Like, for example, I didn't know what, I don't know, being gay was until two men were kissing on EastEnders and were then in bed together and my mum had to explain it to me, okay? You look at Brookside and the first ever lesbian kiss. You look at the way soap opera dealt with domestic abuse and put it on a mainstream platform. Euthanasia with a dot and Ethel storyline. Pedophilia. Like soap opera. I know you're laughing, Beto. <laughs> Sorry. It <laughs> it's does... just so you that you learnt it this way. I mean, it's, not, it's, a, it's a serious subject, but like, yeah, I love yeah, that, that that's but it, how you... But it's always been a format that has had an impact on the public and is understood where the public mindset is and what the public consciousness is. Maybe not so much now, Mm. but it did for a long time and it played a vital role. Reality television does not do that. Reality television, like a love island, is an exploitation and takes advantage of vulnerable young people who don't really often know themselves and are seeking this kind of different life and this aspiration and they they sort of feel that this is going to get them there and sort of make i don't know their lives better in some way and it puts this set of aspirations and these norms and values in place that aren't real and don't actually exist and look at the suicides that have come out of love island in the last few years Mm. as well Mm. it's tragic i've had students of mine who i really worry about because they sort of take life advice and base their lives around the people on fucking Love Island and want to apply for Love Island. You know, I've had students who are saving for surgery when they get to 18. You're like, what is going on here? This is 
madness. Like, I despise the format and I despise its influence. I honestly think in 15, 20 years' time, we're going to look back on shows like Love Island in the same way we look at shows like Love Thy Neighbour, like 70s sitcom and the kind of racist element that existed in those sort of sitcoms. I honestly think we're going to look back on them with a sense of shame and a sense of how the fuck did we let this happen because this is fucking awful and i know the caroline flack stuff was a little bit different because it was related more to the domestic abuse of the boyfriend but it then resulted in abuse and she'd been around you know love island as the presenter of love island as well there's got to be some sort of connection there possibly as well so yeah this is a tragic storyline and it shows the pressures of reality television and the pressures that I don't know, social media, I suppose, then put on people as well. And I just think people need to be a bit maybe smarter with their Mm. use of social media. And it's something that needs to be policed a little bit more and taught about in a kind of serious manner because we have to do stuff on social media at work. And I think me and Mm. JP have got a pretty good hang on it. But the stuff that is given to people not produced by say me and JP, I can't really say too much because I get myself in trouble. But we sometimes get given stuff and it's like, here's a lesson on social media. Go teach this. And you look at it and you're like, no young person is going to see yeah. this and go, oh, yeah, I better watch myself now. Like there needs to be a rethink about it. And it needs to be done by people who actually understand social media and understand reality television and don't just, you know, put a PowerPoint together at the last minute base in it because they've got to fulfill a... A, a quota, I suppose, or a ticker box in some way. Anyway, there's my two cents. No, there's, there, there's so many. Oh God, yeah. To 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 kind of mirror that with Joe. I mean, one of the things I have often wanted because you think about the amount of time that people spend on social media, between obviously the big kind of platforms that are out there, and you realise that we don't teach any lessons to anyone really about how we use this to any kind of serious and meaningful degree. This is the kind of stuff we need to be doing in primary schools. This is stuff that needs to be on the curriculum. How you behave online. How it can be, in some ways, an extension of yourself. And allow yourself to kind of, um, I don't know, uh, like kind of be creative, creatively broaden your horizons. However, it is also a dangerous tool. And it does carry a lot of weight. And the people who run Facebook, in particular, are morally blank at best. Yeah. And it's not like the others are kind of paragons of virtue. And this stuff goes on and it goes on around us. And it affects, particularly affects young women um, who tend to be sort of like kind of the object, uh, like the objects of people's ire as like these avatars to be able to kick off about. Yeah. And, and that's what she was, wasn't it? That's essentially yeah, what she was expected to be. It's, it's a horrific, it becomes a horrific vehicle because we don't teach anyone about how to use it. And even for us, it becomes something that we weren't brought up with. So you've got an entire generations who are being brought up with social media, mm. but it is still something that's kind of, well, it's left to yourself and it's not taken seriously. And the absolute impact that social media has on people's lives, both good and bad, is something that should be explored and it needs to be explored in detail. But I fear that that isn't the case. What you end up getting is at times a kind of a general kind of... you. Uh, like uh, what is it like um, unanimity oh, what's the word I'm looking for anonymity? like everyone being together no unity, unity the right. people are kind of u- unified behind it and then all of a sudden like give it a few weeks these things tend to disappear without there being the necessary impact and real thought on this and there's so many different directions with it 
But this is an absolutely just so horrific. Yeah. Yeah, I think as well, like for me, going as what you were saying there, JP, for me, uh, you know, the lemon ideology <laughs> is one that is behind uh, kind of uh, thought around social media that is there for young people, genuine thought that isn't patronizing and doesn't look to kind of put them down because it is something that is kind of intrinsic to a lot of well, most most young people's identity, if anything. And I think that could go over package based around teaching younger people about how to avoid fake news as well. Oh yeah. That is something that is, you know, we all know is really dangerous. And I look at some of the stuff that I've seen trending on Facebook that my girlfriend showed me the people she works with post on Facebook during this pandemic. And it's just bollocks that they bought up hook, line and sinker. They've not checked the source, but unfortunately what we've got a conservative government, it kind of suits them to have uh, Lots of fake news circulating. And, you know, when I think about Michael Gove uh, and his reform and education, um, when Dominic Cummings was his key advisor in the Department of Education, mm, uh, one of the first subjects to go that I used to teach, and I love teaching it, was communication and culture. And it taught young people all about kind of various discourses about various approaches to the media about various forms of communication and how they were there to manipulate sort of you about philosophy to some extent as well things like colonialism made you think for yourself taught you a lot of independent analytical skills why the tories want people to have those skills why do the tories want people to think wisely about their use of social media fucking don't they want to continue to exploit people's most irrational fears via social media let companies like Cambridge Analytica get involved as well. Let them Russian bots run riot as well. And the dumber we make people, the more insecure we make people, the more chance we've got of right-wing governments who govern in the interest of no one but them fucking selves. So there you go. Sorry, I've kicked off again, haven't I? <laughs> Expected at this uh, this late hour. Um, no, can't argue with any of that. I mean, I suppose to kind of tie it into you know back to you know to the wrestling point because there is a very you know there's, there's a heavy you know we can talk about the reality show and the way she was cast in the show and kind of the pressure she was under and the the trolls that were replying to her on Twitter and everything that led to this horrific horrific incident that did take place you know live in front of everyone's eyes and social media like do you reckon like are we taking the right lessons from this though JP like this weekend on Twitter has been. As any weekend on Twitter, to be honest, it's been a complete shit show. Um, and I wonder, you know, are we taking the right lessons from this? Because, you know, it's a it's a comp it's a complex story that I kind of feel like is being boiled down to a very simple narrative, um, as most things do. To be honest, uh, that is kind of a a thing, uh, both in life and in wrestling. Uh, but yeah, mm. I don't know. Well, what have you made of all that? Because there's been a lot of a lot of stuff about you know criticism and critique and maybe time a lot of british wrestlers for example kind of tying it into another story that happened this weekend with with, with cj banks that maybe i can give some color to um it's just been interesting yeah to, to see maybe how this this lesson is is maybe being learned or how it's being uh, interpreted as i try to throw it to jp and he leaves the camera um <laughs> Thanks for that, mate. Gareth, you got any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
it's it's one of those but like i think there's that certain element of it that like just boils down to a, a bit of common sense as well really because mm. i mean obviously it's a tra- tragic situation and you know the the way that it's it's, it's boiled about about the abuse that that, uh, that that she'd received and, and things like that but then i think this wider debate of how you can use social media and should it all be positive and can you say you don't like something you know mm. and if you know if you don't like something then should you just be keeping that opinion to yourself, and then, and then, what impact does that have on society in a longer, longer term? If you know, if the, if there's, if there's no criticism or critique, then, then, and everything's, everything is awesome. Um, then mm. you know, then where, where, where are you left with us from yeah. a society standpoint? Awesome, is it? You know, if everything's yeah, awesome. Nothing's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the plot of The Incredibles. <laughs> and and like, you know, I was I was looking at it like I was posting on twitter last night making a joke about that cody cody Rhodes belt and i i did actually pause before i pressed tweet because i was thinking like oh should i be criticizing some belt makers <laughs> like yeah. belt creations <laughs> online and i was thinking well of course i should if i don't like it kind yeah. of it. what's wrong with that kind of thing and I, I know it's a it's a crass you know rubbish example kind of thing to to say that within the extremities of what we've we've seen you're an awful head, person but it's, right? but it's, you know it's the, it's the boundaries, though, you know, in, in, yeah. in terms of things set. Because I think some people would want the boundaries to be that harsh. That it's like, yeah, you literally can't, can't no, criticize the critique. I've spoke to them um, this weekend. Those people do exist. I can't confirm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, it's like the podcast, for example. You know, we we don't get uniformly great reviews. You know, we uh, we uh, do say controversial things on this podcast, and there are some people who don't like that, and there are people who give us bad reviews on iTunes, and there are people who will take to twitter and say you know if someone takes to twitter and says that grapple spotlight podcast is shit fine you know i might not like that personally i might be like oh that's that's pretty shit i'm gutted that somebody thinks that about the podcast but if they're doing that and they're not you know coming to me you know directly tweeting me or dming me or harassing me about how terrible i am personally as a person those are two very distinctly separate things mm. and i do feel like jp um as i was trying to throw it to you <laughs> i think that those, those two things are uh have been mixed up quite a lot in this story and kind of it, it's just been grayed to a point where i don't know if the the true lessons that maybe we should be learning from this story and about social media in general are, are actually being learned no um oh god there's so much to say about this there's so many different areas on this when you talk about like the, the kind of use of social media, one of the things I found, and it does link obviously to the kind of Hannah Kimura story, um, is that it start there was like a kind of reframing of a narrative that mm. kind of relate people talking back to themselves. And I instantly felt uncomfortable with this because I was like, the focus isn't necessarily shouldn't really be back to yourselves. You're going to do that internally. Mm. But is that something you need to kind of say, actually, you know, here is here is an incident which isn't anywhere kind of near at the level of what happened to Hannah Kimura mm. and relating yourself to it. And I felt instantly uncomfortable with it. Mm. There's there's so much to say. And I think the big thing, and it doesn't often get said, is I don't think anyone is okay during this lockdown. Mm. Because if you define okay as kind of what there was a normal pattern of our lives before this, and that has been disrupted, possibly forever. And... It's okay to not be okay during a lot of this. And then I think you see stuff happen 
and things have become amplified and you're talking about the effect on people's mental health and all of a sudden like the idea of being able to kind of think about things in a rational logical way because so much of our time is kind of spent living inside our own heads Mm. within the the kind of confines of our own homes as well it's having a, a kind of enormous effect and you know because our lives have changed and i think for a lot of wrestlers on this there's something about the relationship between wrestlers and fans Mm. and i don't think it's spoken about Mm. because the way that it is i think it has to change and this goes down to the idea about you know realizing that wrestlers need fans but Mm. and and you know and and at the same time it's not for them to be kind of disparaged but then fans do an awful lot of really bad things and kind of claim an ownership over people as well. And these are big, big things. And some of that stuff is frankly outright perverted. Yeah. And it's creepy. And there's whole other kind of areas about how people kind of relate to each other. And wrestlers are so defensive at the best of times they overreact to a statement. And I think sometimes they bring a lot of baggage to the table. You mm. mentioned about Adam Maxted with you. Yeah. I'm imagining he's got all the Love Island stuff. Mm. And we don't know what that is like. And I can only imagine it's hell. And in the brief times that I've spoken to him, one of the things you kind of realize is that Love Island's off the table. Now, that was fine when me and Joe interviewed him because neither of us are fucking interested in Love Island and would happily <laughs> talk about anything else but that. But at the same time, his kind of idea of what fans is, is going to be so much different from what we have and the kind of experience of it. So I'm not saying that, like, I agree with what he says because so much of it then becomes the wrestlers of, unless you've worked, you haven't done this. And it's like, well, yeah. Have you played Champions League football before? Because otherwise I don't want to hear anything about that. You know, there are those things in that as well. But I think the nature of, of how, you know, the fact that, you know, you have to earn a living by being having these kind of quite intimate relationships with your fans, and mm. these things can get kind of deeply skewed along the way. Yeah, and in a business where where, like, where it's still partly a work as well, where people will, you know, they'll blur that line between real life person mm. and character as well. Like in this in the wrestling business, how do we that that's like the wrestling business right now is built along that though isn't it how has it ever been it's, more direct fan to wrestler like that is literally the nature of indie wrestling right now the successful indie wrestlers have got that one-to-one contact with fans and there's gonna be positives and negatives that come out of that yeah um, there is but yeah i think for me like the yeah the, you know the max dead thing obviously i had a run in with him last night on twitter and it was partly my fault i, I knew i knew tweeting the jimmy havoc thing was uh, was tempting fate uh, and i knew it was coming but i don't know i just think there's a there's an element of like i think i know this from knowing some wrestlers who feel like this and for, I'm, to be honest you were seeing it over the weekend like the negativity wasn't just coming from the fan ends like the the passive yeah. aggressiveness coming from some wrestlers like you you can you could feel it in the air and i get that you know when you if you're getting directly tweeted stuff if people are dming you giving you abuse that's one thing but i don't know why this turned into the conversation it turned into like i think part of it is you know the hanukkah story is horrid it is awful and it is about 
you know, social media and it's about targeted harassment and it's about partly wrestling fans, partly um, reality TV show fans, partly the way she's put on a pedestal with her particular role, all of that. But then I think it got mixed up with the CJ Banks story that happened this weekend. And, you know, I'm probably party to more detail on that than most will be. Um, just because, you know, he's somebody I knew, well, we're going back like 14 years ago now. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've had the odd conversation with him. And, you know, we know each other, but we're not friends. And to be honest, like, I haven't been the fondest of him the last few, few years. Just to be honest, just to put cards on the table. I'm not talking from, like, a, a biased point of view with him. But, like, there, there was a story with him. He's a, he's a Northwest wrestler, if, if people don't know. And over the weekend, back the same day, um, he posted on Twitter basically about having suicidal intentions. And through the week, he'd been posting just absolutely insane stuff on Twitter. Like he'd used racial language, he'd used homophobic language. He'd said a lot of terrible things. But he very, very obviously... And, you know, I'm someone who maybe sees the other side of it and knows the people who know him, who are trying to help him. I know a bit more about the detail about, you know, his his mental health and the, and the issues that are there. And, the, you know, they are very... The serious issues, you know, without getting into someone's personal detail that maybe isn't out there public right now. Um, you know, I'm fully aware of that, but the people who aren't aware of that were piling on on Twitter, and I found that hard to read. Like, because mm. he was saying racist and homophobic things, but he was very, very clearly off his rocker. Like, it was obvious to anybody reading those tweets. It was obvious, you know, there were there were other things at play. Um, and yet still there were people who couldn't just help themselves from who maybe found out who CJ Banks was in the last 48 hours deciding this was the time to have a pile on and I get it you know I didn't know all the, I didn't know all the detail at the start and I was thinking you know certain things about him as well and I can understand why people reacted the way they did I did my best to inform people who maybe needed to know and st- take a step back I, you know and wrestlers in general you know tried to, to, to defend his corner but that's 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 one story, you know. That that's a lot of things going on in a wrestler's personal life that have led him to a particular situation. The pylon was kind of separate from that, but I think all of these, because it's you know there are similarities in some ways to the Hannah Kimura story. It's all a kind of been mixed up in this murky grey pot, mm. and it kind of became the worst of Twitter on all sides. It, it kind of became you know like I say, the people parachuting on to have a go at TJ Banks. It became. You know, from there it led to the day after the wrestlers firing back about these disgusting fans who piled on CJ Banks, and I was vocal about not agreeing with the people who were doing that. But at the same time, I could name the people who were doing that's how you know we're talking four or five people. I could give you their names on air. That's how many people we're talking about. We're not talking about wrestling Twitter in general, you know. And I hate mm. that term anyway. But you know, do it in in legion. You know, going after a wrestler. This was a you know a somewhat isolated situation but what it's led to and i think on the positive side like you said there jp you know there's a lot of reasons why wrestlers might feel like this and it must be hard reading negative feedback reading dickheads like me saying jimmy havoc shite all the time on twitter i'm sure it's it's a difficult thing to read like i said with the podcast it can be difficult to read sometimes as well but it really did turn in yesterday and today into just fans fans taking the brunt of wrestlers frustrations with fans and if anything, there were, there were basically wrestlers outright saying that, you know, next time you have a, a negative opinion on a, re- on a wrestler or a match, you don't need to tweet it. And it was like, okay, maybe you don't, but, like, there's nothing wrong with giving opinion. There's nothing wrong with critique. 
there's nothing wrong with watching the Man United game and saying Man United played shite, or watching the Man United game and coming to the conclusion that the Pogba's shite and saying it on your on your own Twitter account. There's obviously a difference if you park outside his house or you're sending him nasty messages or you know targeting his family or whatever ridiculous things people do with these these people who are who are famous. But like, I feel like the story went from not to 100 and i get it because the original story the hannah Kimura story is is so tragic but i just feel like some dots have been connected that maybe aren't entirely there um i don't know maybe it's me being too close to the story being one of those people who probably does need to take a, back, a step back from twitter i'm on twitter all that i talk a lot on twitter i i get invested maybe too much in social media i could probably take some lessons from ujp and you joe on what you were saying early there but yeah, it was just it was the perfect shitstorm this weekend on Twitter, and we kind of mm. went from a, a genuine horrific tragedy and a really horrible story with CJ Banks to kind of like this conversation where no negative speech is allowed in wrestling for some reason, and specifically British res- wrestling, really oddly, that I kind of can't get my head around. Um, and obviously, there's a tack to, to this stuff, to criticism, and to maybe putting negative opinion out there that you know we can all take lessons on but yeah just a just a really hard story to follow unraveling over the weekend and even now i think i'm struggling to to kind of get my head around to where we got how we got to the point that that we did get with it as an outsider to all of this a lot of the stuff i've not got a clue what you're on about (laughs) i don't care i don't care to find out about it i'll be honest with you Mm. right uh but as an outsider, like Dominic Cummings, you know, outsider and all that, um, there's a man right there who there's a lot of public anger towards mm. over this weekend, right? So we all feel angry. So should we not say anything about that or voice our anger because none of us have worked in frontline politics before? Mm. Or in my case, I haven't had the coronavirus and I don't have a child. So should I not comment on that on a podcast as a result of that no i think we're fine to comment on that because it's a public story and it's something that affects the public okay all right wrestling is very different to frontline politics but there's good wrestling and there is bad wrestling just like there's good and bad in anything Mm. and people are able to voice an opinion criticism is ultimately a good thing it's how you take that criticism but it's also how that criticism is presented and it's what you choose to do with that criticism i come on here and give some of the most irrational criticism you'll ever hear at times (laughs) when it comes to i don't know vince mcmahon and probably triple h because i can't stand either of them i think they're awful people and has my hatred tipped over into like a real real dislike yeah it has because they've affected lots of people's professional lives on a fundamentally selfish level. Now, from what you're saying, Benno, it sounds like there's a lot of virtue signaling that went on, first of all, Mm. because people feel that they should feel a certain way based on certain words they might see on a screen without thinking about the grander and wider context of what is there Mm. on the screen and what that situation is. And yeah, I don't think that's great. I'm not a fan of virtue signaling. I think it's ingenuine. But what I think has happened over the last few years, and as someone who hasn't had Twitter for going on two years now, I don't miss it. 
But one of the big reasons that I was like, fuck this, I'm done with this, was the absolute divisiveness of Twitter. And I feel like it's actually a wider societal move that has been in place over the last few years. And I think you can even... I sound like I'm an absolute madman here, but you look at, say, the Russian interference in various elections. You look at the role of big tech companies. You look at the role of data analytics companies as well. And you look how ultimately we have become more divided, not just as a nation, but really worldwide, let's be honest. And that goes for small little bubbles as well. I don't think politics in this country has ever been more divisive. I don't mean there's ever been any clearer division. Look at Brexit as a prime example of that. During a global pandemic, it felt like we might come together. Look at America right now. It was The pandemic was politicized from day one mm. and it feels like twitter is the most divisive platform in existence you have to sit in a camp and if you don't sit in a camp you don't kind of exist on twitter <laughs> you just fall into the ether if anything on twitter you sit over here or you sit over here and if you sit somewhere in the middle and you've got a moderate opinion on something then you just kind of get forgotten about. That's my experience of it. The The final straw for me was the Dave Meltzer lump on when he made a comment about one of them Aussie women who works in WWE and she got breast implants. And he was clearly commenting on the fact that she got breast implants was probably a decision that she was pressurized into because there was pressure around her looks. Now, what he was talking to was a wider societal problem but also probably a company-based problem right but there was an opportunity there and wwe wrestlers lumped on Meltzer completely unfairly and betrayed him as some um, like bigger who was a misogynist and it was like well this isn't true you've taken all the nuance out of this and all the context you've turned it into this black and white good versus evil issue here and this is just bad and it's that sort of thing that i can't be doing with on a platform like twitter and it's that sort of thing that has just continued to exist on a platform such as Twitter. And you know what? I don't miss it. I don't feel like I'm ever missing out on anything by not having Twitter. I think that too much stock is put into what goes on on Twitter when what goes on on Twitter doesn't really, I don't know, imp have the same impact in the real world a lot of the times, especially when it comes to various opinions and views on things. But I do think Twitter is a very interesting insight into the divisive kind of nature of the world in general right now as to political debate in general and as to how there are devices, divisive opinions that exist in various subcultures and niches even that people follow. Ultimately, we all really like wrestling, right? Mm -hmm. We are going to have various opinions on wrestling, right? We all love early 90s WCW, don't we, right? Mm -hmm. But I happen to think the entire run of TNA, other than Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, was absolute fucking shit. <laughs> and when you look back at it, my God, was it just bad. Whereas JP doesn't think that. <laughs> but do me and JP dislike each other because we have a different opinion on TNA? No, we don't. But also, JP can make the odd offensive comment. Do I care? Nah, he's not doing anyone in the arm. He says it's just me in private. 
whatever. Let's just get you on. Make with me it. sound like a massive racist behind closed doors. Cheers, mate. You're not. He's I'm not. not. Just He's in not. case anyone. I'll wants, back him up as well. Just in case anyone wants to virtue signal and criticise <laughs> us and you know what goes on behind closed doors. I'll anyway, I've rambled on a bit there. Sorry. Yeah. Do you know, I, it's not I, a simple story, though, is it, JP? That's the thing. It's not a simple conversation no. either. There's so many. It's kind of trying to be simplified, and I don't think you can. It's 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 really difficult. I was saying this earlier on about no, not everyone's okay, and I think in terms of people's again the reactions to stuff is it's just so over amplified. I end up thinking of a proverb of all things: "To err is human; to forgive is divine." Now, people fuck up people make mistakes they say horrible things but are you empathetic and is the idea of confusing empathy with sympathy that somehow if you are empathetic to another human being you're being sympathetic to their views that's not necessarily the case and what i ended up also thinking about is at times when i've door knocked for labor and funny enough i did it in the place uh, part of oxford that joe is not a labor heartland as joe was probably ended up expressing to all of us over the last few months um when you're door knocking, you're not going to speak to people you don't like and you're not going to dish out abuse to them. Instead, and this is what I always think, as someone who is left-wing, considers himself liberal, when these pylons happen, it's like the worst of liberalism. It's illiberal. And it's it completely is, illiberal. It's, it, it, because ultimately, yeah, it is absolutely illiberal, but it, it kind of fuels the fire of why people don't like liberals this idea of the kind of purity contest, the idea that if you say the wrong thing, there isn't the idea of like going, all right, why did this happen? Silly example. I was thinking the first episode of that, when Netflix brought back Queer Eye, and there was a guy who said, a potentially offensive statement, amazing show, um, a potentially offensive statement. They dealt with it by kind of speaking to him. And by doing that, they didn't patronize him. But they kind of spoke to him and they ended up some like convincing him of that, but without calling him a complete prick at the same time mm. and, tr- and trying to do that. And that's the problem with it. And when people go into those anger stuff, this is a lot of this stuff I'd written several weeks ago and we never ended up covering it when Eve were having all the issues and Emily Reed ended up going. And there was lots of stuff that kind of made me upset. Um, and with a lot of stuff with the kind of pile on nature of it, it's what that person is bringing to the table mm. rather than any kind of constructive argument. It's hating them for reasons that are kind of really to do with them as opposed to the other person. And it becomes, this becomes an outlet for them. And it's, it's awful. I've thought a lot about the stuff that we end up saying on the show and how much of it is, is bad and can be construed as offensive. And I'm sure there is, there's examples of it. It is. I like to think that the reasons for this, like is within a context of wrestling which I am allowed to like and dislike. Because yeah. guess what? I've spent a lot of money on wrestling. And if I want to be discerning with my money, I want to know what is good and bad. How do I know what is good and bad? Elements of criticism. Yeah? That's, that's how it works. Mm. Do I need to know all about their personal lives? God, no. I have no interest in that. And it comes back to that idea of what the public find interest versus what of interest to the public. The stuff with Dominic Cum- Cummings is in the public interest private life stuff with an argument I had with his wife, fuck all to do with me. I don't need to know. And so I'm going to back out of this one. And a lot of times, and we've all seen it ourselves, a lot of wrestling fans love to get into the kind of behind the scenes drama of who goes out with who. 
People have relationships. End of story. There wouldn't be a human fucking race if that wasn't the case. But with this stuff, this kind of like element of of kind of trying to pile in on a lot of this stuff on here, rather than actually realizing that people have different opinions and everything else, and you're fine to have those different opinions. Somebody may ask you about why that is that case. That's called debate. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things. And this is where wrestling has never grown up because it's lived so far in the shadows for so long that these real world things like criticism come into the mix. And all of a sudden it's like you've come in our house on Christmas Eve and pissed on the presents. No, you haven't. You've said a match is bad and it might require some work. Yeah. That's, that's where we are with this as well. There is so much to be angry about, yeah? Creeping right-wing coups. If somebody says something shitty online, you don't need to comment. You could mute them. You could block them, yeah? But you don't need to fucking kick off every 15 minutes because there might be some stuff that's happened to you personally in the past, in which case, like, it, that's the issue to talk about. Sorry, I don't know if that made any sense. Bit of a rate. Rant, it's half past one in the morning, there you go. <laughs> I think as well, the whole criticism is bad. Only say something positive. Don't say anything negative. That is like censorship. Promotes idiot In promotes, a sense. Promotes idiocy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it does. And there's a, it's a form of censorship. It's mm. like, well, we're going to filter all of your negativity mm. and maybe like spin it in a positive way. Mm. And it's like... What? That's almost like a gagging order mm. on what might be a nuanced, valid, thought-through opinion that I have on something that might need improvement and that I thought about. And also, imagine if this show, right, became a show that was all about, hey, positivity, ah, let's run around in a fucking rose garden. Imagine if this was some Jeff sort of... You'd be off. There'd be no grapple logo on there. Boss would be dumb. kicking you off. I'd, yeah. I'd be dumb. I'd be dumb. <laughs> but we don't live in a utopia. No. And to try and pretend we live in some sort of utopia yeah. where everything's awesome is dangerous. Did no one watch the Lego movie? <laughs> if they didn't, <laughs> they need to go and do it. And I think one of the dangers we have here is that Twitter, Reddit, the internet generally allows people if they want to, to really live in bubbles. And I think living in a really confined small bubble within a niche is really, really dangerous. Look, I realized that I was living in a bubble to some extent after the 2015 election and it was then reinforced again by Brexit because everyone that I was around, everyone that I interacted with and my Twitter feeds and to be honest, even my Facebook feed told me that <laughs> we might get a Labour government and also that it probably looked like we were going to stay in the eu and my god did that not happen and at that point i really sort of had a look at how i use social media and what i was accessing because it was leading me down a path of not actually really getting public opinion on various things hmm. and i think that a lot of people live in these really confined wrestling bubbles niche in a niche and it's probably a lot of the people who even listen to this podcast to some extent hmm. you've got to get out of those bubbles they're dangerous okay you can escape i know that but a lot of these wrestling stories aren't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things yeah i follow them yeah i like wrestling a lot i wouldn't do a podcast and if i didn't i find it fascinating but yeah just 
I don't know. I think it's essential to try and escape that bubble and try and see things. But a bit of outside, a bit of an outsider's perspective at times. Because often I find people aren't bringing an outside an outside perspective to it. They're bringing a perspective of someone who works in wrestling or just follows wrestling or the majority of their time is spent following wrestling and that is what creates this and i think progress have a lot to answer for with their use of positives and negatives to try and avoid criticism and to try and make people who would criticize them validly and constructively look bad that was a almost trumpian like tactic on the punk rock pro wrestling group's part there yeah, I, I had a, uh, someone who remained nameless who had a, who might have a high-up punk rock job at this point uh. actually say to me at one point, uh, you know, Benno, you're saying not a lot of negative things about the company, but I know you really love it, so that's okay with me. And I was like, what if I didn't love it? My opinion's still valid. I can still give you my negative opinion. Um, yeah, I think you probably guess who that is. But, you know, on, on, on your point, Joe, like... I do think that outside perspective is important. Look at the Tom... Is it Tom Segura? Is that his name? The comedian this week? Like, he did a oh, fucking... Yeah. A very funny sketch about wrestling in general, and he got, like... Who did he get to send videos in? It was fucking, like, a who's who of uh, Ric Flair. Basically conned them all with, with Cameo to send him videos about his fake wrestling character, where he ripped into wrestling fans a bit. And there were, like, members of the, the wrestling media, Ryan Satin being the leader... Like going in on him about oh this is disgusting how can you how can you possibly say this about about wrestling it's like that is why the outside world looks at us sometimes and just thinks my god get out your bubble like my god just like yeah. look, realize how this looks to a to an outsider um, I mean I was going to tie it to another story the uh, the Owen Hart story but given we've gone over three hours I'm thinking lads we might have to park that one for a for a later I don't know if we do a midweek special or we we save it for next week or what but uh, I don't know no, what you're thinking can- on that. Save it for the next episode. What do you reckon? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I could happily save it for that because that that deserves a lot of time. I was going to say, yeah, I think we could probably spend mm. a lot of time on that and the reaction people have had, you know, to to Martha Hart, where it's like I'm reading it, going like, my God, imagine someone who doesn't follow wrestling read this and saw fans ripping into the widow of a of a dead wrestler. Like, yeah, I think sometimes we all could do with a with that extra context. Why don't we do another podcast, maybe Thursday or Friday, and we mm. do that, and we watch the next episode of the uh, the Last Ride as mm. well, possibly. Oh, that's yeah. a point. Yeah, I'm not up to date on that either. Okay, yeah, work in progress. There you go. The people that watching live can uh, can hear us work out the show. I'll probably leave this in the podcast anyway, and people can uh, can compare. They've been listening in on that for quite a uh, few mate, months now, haven't they? Yeah. It's the hype machine. We're piping the next episode <laughs> coming up this week. There you go. Yeah. We're, we're putting yeah. it all together. That's it. And yeah, and you know, after we've just spent like a, a couple of hours, uh, well at least a half an hour ripping on social media pay attention to my social media and grapple social media and you'll get some information on what we're going to talk all that stuff uh, and can i just and, and, and i think the podcast rubbish let them know yeah there you go yeah and that's fine <laughs> if you don't like it that's fine say you don't like it just don't turn up at my house that's okay i don't mind what are you gonna say can that i, seems like a reasonable can I just read something out from uh devs which i watched recently on social media which i think is a great uh great couple of lines of the show mm. uh, just to sum up the social media so instagram makes people feel like shit about their lives okay which is the first bit twitter makes them feel reviled yeah and facebook destroyed democracy oh. i've never seen it summed up better and you know what social media can be a good platform for for certain things like not promoting about a show it. and Getting feedback for this show, which we take rationally, okay? 
that's great. We probably wouldn't have a show or a following without social media, would we? Let's be honest. That's here, true. But... Yeah. That's where most yeah. of our listenership comes from, and that's where most of the people following along and listening live comes from. Yeah, but use it wisely and don't live on there and don't, you know, take fucking life advice on social media and don't just take a step back. Don't let what exists on that bollocks get you down and get to you and dictate your day. That's what I say. Life advice with Joe Lemon. Probably not a show that I could see launching anytime (laughs) soon. And a little line. (laughs) I'd like to throw it in. It's okay to not be okay. Just throw that in there. It is okay to not be okay. Anything, and anything it's okay inspir- to have an opinion. Yes. Yeah. Anything inspirational, Gareth? If everything's good, nothing's good, that's a good one to go out on. I don't know. You got anything? Yeah, no, no. I'm just sitting here feeling incredi- incredibly guilty about this app I've developed, which gives people a forum <laughs> to tell people that they've, uh, their match the is not shit. two five stars. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. You're a fucking monster, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, did, I did have this conversation with, with um, Colt Cabana a couple of years ago talking about the app, and he was like, I don't want I don't want to see it. I don't want any part of it. He was like, I don't want to, like, at the end of, like, at the end of a match, being able to see that, like, uh, you know, hundreds of people think it was shit or something like that. He's like, I just don't want to know kind of thing. And I thought, and yeah, that's I don't think it's going to go down too well with the wrestlers. Smart man. That's his prerogative, isn't it? And there are other wrestlers yeah. who pay a lot of attention to it and take it with the, you know, the intent that's that's intended. Take it with, you know, a grain of salt and we'll maybe not. Paul Robinson the other week. Good lad. I like Paul Robinson. I had a good chat with Paul Robinson on Twitter. Uh, nice fella. That's, that's, that's Didn't agree with him at all. A grown-up conversation yeah. between two people at differing points of view. Mm. And that's fine. Yeah, it's a good thing. I reckon he'd be good on Love Island. I think Paul Robinson was the guy for that, but who knows? Anywho, I think I think he. Oh my god, he'd see through it. He'd be like, "These are a bunch of fucking mugs." <laughs> yeah, he probably would. Right, he'd be like he'd be like King Kong on Skull Island, really, just trash the fucking place. But he'd probably try and teach him a few life lessons. He'd probably feel a bit sorry for him and think, "Ah, this guy, he's got stuck in a world of bloody." Instagram and hair straighteners. Is that sort of thing? I don't know. I'm stuck in the emo stage, aren't I, clearly? I don't know. With your shaved head now, Joe, you've got no use for hair straighteners. Me, on the other hand, yeah. I could probably do with a pair. And Gareth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, so, sorry, Mick. What was that? I didn't quite catch it. <laughs> I am getting very Mick Hucknall. It's bad. Anyone watching oh, my yeah. live streams will uh, will know. I'm basically just wearing my headphones as like a, a way to, to hide my hair, to be honest. Uh, but I was going to say, anything more of that story anything at all we probably should get out of here uh, I think it's it's the it's the buzz of going live that sadders go particularly long here but a couple of meaty subjects to get into to be honest so I was a big uh, fan of that back in the day with uh, Philip Schofield and Sarah Green what's that going going live oh, going live yeah. <laughs> that's us now spotlight going live uh, but yeah anything else anyone wants to mention going <laughs> well now that's the outro in it <laughs> Gareth, where have we got to plug? Go on. I think we're out of uh, out of material. Well, you got a plug. Um, download the app. <laughs> <laughs> that social app. Yep, get that. Yep, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. iOS and Android. Um, follow us at Grapple App. Um, that's about it. Awesome. Oh, big thank you. Big thank you to everybody who used the link to the to Double or Nothing, who bought yes. it through the, through the Grapple link. It was uh, yeah, great to see see so many people coming through that. So thank you very much for the support. Hugely appreciate it. Many when thanks. we have a quiet week, we need you back on, Gareth, for this Triple H ratings thing that we've not done yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll cover that. Mm. We'll cover wrestling if, if as well. I... That's another good idea, but we'll talk about that later. Sorry. I, I, I haven't got a plug, but a bit of a hello 
to who's listening in Bulgaria, <laughs> which is uh, are we number one or number two now, JP? It's between us and BWA. We, we we just don't get out of the top ten. I don't know what's going on, but like I've never been as live shows in Sofia. Yeah, once this crazy shit is over and done with, I'm more than up for that. <laughs> one thing I heard about Bulgaria is it's a good place to do your summer holidays on the cheap as well. I'm obviously saying it's the post-pandemic world, but yeah. Who are you? I'm very curious. Very, very curious. And Benno, honestly, they're all over you, mate. Occasionally, <laughs> they like to mix it up with a bit of Corey Graves and John Pollock. Telling you one maybe... of which is fine. Have you re- got some VPN going via Bulgaria, Benno? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past me, to be honest. But no, no there's no, uh, no Bulgarian TV I'm having to, uh, to watch. So, yeah. The thing is, though, we get Rusev on the show, do an interview. We could be number one again. Yeah. And we can blow those, those fools out the water. Mate, We'll knock Tennis Cafe off the number one in Bulgarian <laughs> sports. Come That's on, Miro. how big that could get. Come on, Miro. You know you want to do it. Uh, but yeah, other than that, obviously, as usual, you have to follow JP on Twitter, at JPJP, uh, if you want to. And if you want positive and negative opinions, follow me, at Benson Richard E. Follow Gareth, at Grapple Gareth. Don't follow Joe, because he's the uh, the smart one out of the four of us. Um, but yeah, again, this has been a long one, but I appreciate everybody tuning in. And yeah, thanks for being on again, Gareth. And yeah, we'll yeah. Keep, keep Thank you for her. listening along live, guys. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I apologise that we've we've kind of had the three different chat systems running between Twitch, YouTube, and uh, and Periscope. So maybe we'll try and uh, contain those all in one place next time we we do something like this yeah. uh, at some point point in the future. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back with another show soon. Keep in keep in tune with our Twitter, with our great social media, um, and you'll be able to find out exactly where we are next. But for now, we'll see you again soon. Bye. See ya. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon, walk the straight and narrow track. If you walk with Jesus, he's gonna save your soul. You gotta keep the devils.